Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. So, Kevin, we were talking midweek when it comes to Purdue. Bumping the road or troublesome trend? And I fear that we're starting to get our answer. Yeah, boy, did things get away from them quick last night in the second half there. Um, you know, in a way, Jake, it was kind of similar to Northwestern. You know, the, the, the lead wasn't as big or as late in the game as it was at Northwestern, but they're up eight there in the second half, and if you blinked, if you stepped away from the TV and you came back, you were like, wait, it's got to be a misprint on the score. Maryland went on a 29-4 to run in about a six- or seven-minute stretch. Mason Gillis had a technical kind of early in that run that I thought kind of helped snowball things in the opposite direction for Purdue. They lose last night easily the biggest margin, certainly. Um, last five minutes, really, nothing was in doubt. 68-54. It's never good, Jake, when the opposing coach, Kevin Willard, um, ushers you off the floor before the court storm. Yeah, he... Um... Very polite, by the way, but yeah. when the coach has that wherewithal to uh, think about that and have the home security staff help execute that, that means you just got your ass kicked. And that's that's what happened to Purdue in the final 12 minutes of the game. They just got their ass kicked, which, again, they were up eight. You know, you felt like you hadn't hit a three in the first half. You hadn't hit a foul shot in the first half. You had a halftime lead on the road. You know, obviously no Big Ten team has won at Maryland all year long, but you cannot – go 2 of 13 from 3. And Purdue's had these moments this season where they've had these ugly three-point nights and you know Edie will have 34 and offset it or they'll get to the foul line 20 times and offset it. They did not sniff that. And Maryland's had their number. You know, when you think about it, 54 last night, 58 in the meeting at Mackey. Maryland's a scrappy bunch. They, I mean, it's not like they went and lost on the road to I, yeah, I don't know. Notre Min- Dame. Minnesota, Notre Dame, yeah. But still, I think Chris Beard in Notre Dame. I mean, 18 and 8, 9 and 6 in the Big 10. Do you really think so? <laughs> Could you imagine? Well, did you see I I found this interesting though. And I don't necessarily want to open this can of worms, but you know, Chris Beard who was dismissed from Texas after very disturbing allegations of domestic violence. But they didn't. Pre- they just, they opted not to press charges after. I think it was a grand jury, like reviewed everything, right, and just said, "Yeah, there's not enough here to press charges." So it's interesting that he would lose his job. I think he probably is guilty of what he was charged or originally arrested for. But when, it, it, excuse me, not. I guess he was never officially charged. He was arrested, but never officially charged. I, that's a slippery slope, but. Heck of a coach, no doubt. How about you think back to Wednesday night, Jake, Northwestern in Indiana, and apologies for going down the Chris Beard route for <clears throat> 60 seconds there. No, that's a fair question, actually. Um, you know, if Indiana finishes off that comeback, Jake, they're one game back of Purdue. 
Yeah. Northwestern is one game back of Purdue, and Northwestern has the tiebreaker. They'll only play one time this season. That's the head-to-head. Now, Purdue gets a team in Ohio State coming up on Sunday that, to say they're reeling, would be a compliment. Ohio State has won one men's basketball game since New Year's Day. Yeah, 11-15 and 15 for the Buckeyes. 3-12 and 12 in the Big Ten. They lost last night to Iowa, but again, Purdue for having Edie, when you shoot it like they shot it last night from three, I just don't think opposing teams respect them from the three-point line as much as Purdue would hope that they would. They don't need to necessarily, it's the whole two or three game, you know, again, not to go down the Notre Dame basketball route, but... Mike Bray has always been this massive believer in that we're not going to double the post. We're not going to commit all this attention to big guys because we can withstand twos. We can't withstand a flurry of threes. With Purdue, and they're 2 of 13 last night, teams, I just don't feel like on a routine night, they need to be hugging the the three-point line. They'll, they'll live with that. And, you know, yeah, you might have Mason Gillis hit nine in a game or something like that. But, you know, Fletcher Lawyer, I think at times you'd like for him certainly to be a little bit more consistent. Braden Smith shot a great last night. But it, Purdue just, with how dominant of a big man Edie is, you've got to be able to support him better from the perimeter. You know, is Purdue playing their way, or have they already played their way off of the one seed line? I think they're still there. I think they're still there. They, they, they certainly aren't the number one overall. I mean, supposedly, Kevin, one seed. of the things they look for in the tournament, it used to be at least that, you know, how you're playing at the end of the year. Now, supposedly, they've gotten away from that, and it's like, nope, it's all it's all about body of work. It's not how you're playing at the end of the year versus the beginning of the year. Yeah, that last 10 games metric used to be part of the process. I mean, if you look at the losses this week, and, and again, you, you've lost three of four. If you look at those three losses, I guess expand it back to the IU game. I mean, those are all, if there's such a thing as a fine loss or a good loss, it's to three teams in the tournament, three teams on the road. You know, it's not like you are losing a quad three, quad four game on your home floor, but your margin for error is certainly shrinking. And Uh, if you look at right now the, the two seeds, Arizona, UCLA, Texas, and Baylor. Now, did UCLA end up winning late last night? Because that would be the one team that, that to me, know. would be in position to move into the one line. If In other words, there's not like a, a two seed that you're like, man, how are they not a number one? So that yeah, probably helps Purdue. you look at full body of work, I think Purdue, the games they won away from home, is still going to be you know pretty impressive. Um, I guess we're less than a month away from Selection Sunday. Good Friday morning to you. It is a chilly Start to this Friday here in Indianapolis. So we're back to kind of mid-February reality from a weather standpoint. All-Star Weekend out in Salt Lake City. Jake, a year from today, it'll be All-Star Weekend here in Indy. Pretty cool, right? You know, it's an event we've never, well, we never held it from a... Do we hold it in the 80s? Am I imagining things? 85... After the RCA Dome, which was then the Hoosier Dome, opened, the All-Star Game took place there. Ralph Sampson was the MVP. Dominic Wilkins, I believe it was, won the dunk contest at Market Square Arena. Um, so the so the festivities were at MSA until the game itself, which was then in the Dome. But I think the safest way to say it, Kevin, is this is the first time that the NBA All-Star Game has been played in Indianapolis since the time period where it became 
a massive beyond basketball pop cultural weekend event. Yeah, multi-night. Correct. Yeah, tonight it'll be the concerts rising, and the whole deal. Rising Stars game out in Salt Lake City. We will actually air that here on our station. Benedict Mather and Andrew Nemhard in that game. Then tomorrow night, you heard him yesterday on this show. Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald in the three-point contest. And then on Sunday, it'll be Halliburton back out there. First first ever All-Star game. I was thinking this about Halliburton getting that nod. You know the name Jake Lavelle Moten? Like a longtime coach at North Carolina Central. Yes. He was um he was a part of that staff with Bruce Weber. Remember when we had Weber on to talk about that yeah. U nineteen US team? I remember Moten when uh Halliburton got named to the All Star team a few weeks back. Moten you know, tweeted out how much the uh, other players on that U nineteen team, again, Evan Mobley, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, I mean future stars of the NBA, how much they just loved playing with Halliburton. They were like, this guy's awesome. And he is the yeah. ideal guy to play with. And I'm thinking to myself, like, isn't Halliburton going to be great on Sunday in the All-Star game? He's going to be perfect just to throw out there and get others involved. I mean, yeah, the, the, he'll have one step back three, but he's going to be looking to get so many people involved. Yeah, I mean, he is the... You know, he He's... He seems to, speaking of Tyrese Halliburton, he, he seems to have added, Kevin, this wrinkle. I'm not saying it wasn't always there, but just like this extra flair. You know, I've noticed just the the no-look passes or like a, a spin with a, even like a pass and then a spin afterwards that isn't even necessary, but it looks really good. You know, he, he does look to get everybody else open and involved, which is... Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan will tell you that once they saw Tyrese Halliburton play after acquiring him from Sacramento, they thought to themselves, okay, this is the piece that might be able to get other guys to come here. That and that's I think that's what they're yeah, I, I, what they're looking for. Obviously there's a lot of factors that go into that, Jake, but that is a big positive for the Pacers. Totally. And if you look at Buddy Heald already setting the franchise record for threes in a season, and there's still 20-some games to go, big reason for that is Halliburton. Miles Turner having, I would say, his best year as a pro, now eight years into the NBA, a bigger reason for that is Halliburton. So again, All-Star Weekend out in Salt Lake City. We'll chat about that. Um, I guess a little bit of Colts news to get to as well. Um, did you see that they're losing the... Um, the former army guy, the the character dude. The character dude. Well, they had the. Didn't they have like a weight and, and fitness guy or something that was? So what, is that what you mean? Early Chris Ballard hires was Brian Decker, former army beret who literally can. He, he like turned into the GM of the army. He turned into this like character person, like you know I'm gonna vet all these people and you know we're kind of gonna weed out who we think can handle this and all of that. And and Ballard hired him uh, very early in the process to kind of be that that person for the Colts of, all right, interview all these draft prospects, you know, basically be a, you know, psychiatrist, if you will. That's right. In looking into these players and who do you think can make it, who do you think can, who do you think has the work ethic, He was et cetera, featured et a few times, was he not, on – 
Hard Knocks or one right. of those, right? And you know what? He was a name that Ballard mentioned on Tuesday in the press conference as someone that was involved in this head coaching process. Um, I, and he's joining Frank Reich in Carolina. Now, I, I, I guess we can start here, Jake. First off, the character guy is leaving and... I think we have a lot of questions about the Colts' character and culture of the last year. So I don't think it's like this overwhelming loss when you think about it from that standpoint. You were just 4-12-1, and and your culture was a big question. But this dude, by all accounts, seemed to be like Ballard's guy. So I guess I'm just surprised by it. Like, if you're going to tell me, hey, Frank Reich is going to take a couple people off the Colts' staff, I would have said, well, duh, he's going to take Parks Frazier, which he did. So that was obvious. I would not have had Brian Decker two on the list. He is leaving to go where? To Carolina. Oh, to Carolina. Yeah, so he's he is with Frank Reich now with the Panthers. And again, he was involved then in that, the To me, that's less peculiar process. because he is, he is going to a familiarity within the NFL. Like if he was leaving because he had a great opportunity to go work in marketing for Home Depot, I'd be like, what? You know what I mean? I, I don't want to overread things into this, Jake, but I do think it's worth pointing out. When the Colts drafted Jacob Eason, there were some questions about Jacob Eason away from football. You know, from a work ethic standpoint, probably more than anything. And just, you know, how much of the drive does he have, all of that. And during that draft process, the Colts sent Brian Decker out to Seattle to get to know Eason a little bit more, talk to people affiliated with the Washington program, and basically kind of build that personality profile on Eason. I would venture to guess that has been part of Brian Decker's past few months on the job here with the 2022, or excuse me, 2023 quarterbacks. So would he have draft intel into some of these quarterbacks for 2023? Therefore, would he know a little bit of what the Colts are looking for, what Chris Ballard might like. Now he takes that to Carolina. They sit there with the ninth pick. They're in a quarterback need. Does Carolina know what the Colts want to do? My thing with all of that, Kevin, and those are fair questions and points, right? Because this quarterback draft pick, Jake, as much as it is about physical tools, when you're drafting at that position... It's a whole lot about between the ears to steal a phrase from Jim Irsay. Well, there. Okay. When you are a general manager of a football team, Kevin, who are the two? What are the two most important positions? The let's just say, for example, Mark, give me a city off the top of your head. Any city in the U.S. that does not have an NFL? Boise. Team. Boise. I was going to say Billings. Okay. Well, either one. The Boise Bulldogs. Boise Bulldogs is an NFL expansion team. On blue turf? On blue turf. And Kevin Bowen, you have been named the general manager. Oh, wow. Now you have to fill the entire building. I might hire Chuck Pagano, local guy. So what are the two most important? They tell you. They say, we're going to let you build the building from the ground up. And you get to get the very best possible in two areas. What two areas are the most important positions in that building that you're going to make sure that you have lock, stock, and barrel taken care of that you never have to worry about when you go to bed at night? I would say quarterback, and I would say the head coach. Okay. What are the two positions under Chris Ballard that he's been burnt by in his time as a general manager that 
possibly would give him PTSD to be absolutely paranoid about making sure that he nails lock, stock, and barrel the rehire of constantly pursuing to replace those two positions. Yeah, probably, he was, probably those two spots. He was burnt by a head coach that he went out and hired and said, you know what, I'm actually not going to come here. And he had total egg on his face. And then he had a quarterback, albeit that he inherited, but he had a quarterback that came to him and said, you know what, I'm, I'm done. And so he already has gone through the arduous process of hiring the coach to replace. Now he goes into the process of finding the quarterback that he's going to have to go with. And you saw how long and detailed and expansive the search was at the quarter or at the head coach position to make sure he didn't get burnt twice. So you can only imagine, Kevin, the length he's going to go through in vetting a quarterback. And now one of his chief vetters is gone. Yeah, again, I'm probably reading way too much into it, but Frank Reich and Brian Decker in the same building, they're drafting five spots behind you. That's kind of what this year, what this time of year is all about, to be fair. Maybe I'm putting on my Jake Query hat a little bit too much there. <laughs> now, what does that mean? I have a lot of good hats. What's my favorite hat that you wear? Or, or what is my... Uh, Shelbyville Bears. Okay. <laughs> By the way, we got to get into Co- uh, Coach Cooter at some point. Jim Bob? Coach Cooter. Could be that last night I was typing it out and I wrote Cooters. Plural. On accident. They have good wings, I think. Cooters? Yeah. Okay. What? Uh, Jim Bob Cooter, a potential offensive coordinator for Shane Steichen. We'll get into that on this Friday morning. Uh, Jake, I my last night I'm sitting there, you know, Purdue, Maryland. I'm obviously watching a little bit of Tiger. Mark Dykton had to love that flurry to end the opening round for his bank account. Yep. And boy, all of a sudden people are freaking out about Connor Daly in the Daytona 500. He's in, baby. Can I? I get that at times the Indy 500 and how they fill out the field of 33 has offered some different rule changes and a little bit of complication to the common fan. I couldn't follow at all what was going on at the Daytona 500. That, that is a challenge for NASCAR. The point system, there are a lot of rules, there are a lot of things in NASCAR where you're just like, what? what is going on here? So he's driving for Floyd Mayweather? Mm-hmm. And his car was terrible. But the other guy's car was worse? I guess. He's starting 34th outside of row 17. Bitnile.com Chevrolet. I, you know that Bitnile, you know who's the like president of that? As I understand it, and, and my understanding of this is very vague, Bitnile is a, a, a bank where you put your Bitcoin, I, I guess. Uh, Willie Ames, who was on 8 is Enough, he played um, – Tommy on eight is enough. Willie Ames is like the president of Bitnile. He's at all the IndyCar races. Nice guy. And this partnership or this like ride with Mayweather and the Daytona 500 came together very recently, right? Correct. This is not something that's been in the works. Correct. I mean, when you say recently, I'm trying to think of when they announced. Yeah, it wasn't like it was. It wasn't, Kyle it wasn't Larson. like Kyle Larson yeah. with the 500. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, give me a number real quick, by the way. One through 40, Mark. 28. Is there really 40 cars? Uh, yeah. Number 12. Well, that, until like lap two and then 12 of them come in and park. Justin Haley will start 28th. Oh, Todd Haley's son. Um, uh, give me a number, Mark or Kevin. Let's go seven. Starting in the seventh position for the Great American Race, Ryan Blaney. Give me a number for me. 18. Number 18. Ooh, Denny Hamlin. So I get a lifetime supply of FedEx. You get a lifetime supply, Mark, of... Uh, 
Circle, S-I-R-K-U-L. Hmm? Spell that again. Sounds like a tech startup. Or excuse me, C-I-R, C-I-R-K-U-L. And then you get, what number did you give me there, Kevin? I said uh, seven. Um, oh, you get a lifetime supply of Menards. Oh, gosh, my dad's going to be in heaven. <laughs> Circle's water bottles. Is it? Yeah. Okay, well, God, there you go. I used to love going to Menards when I was younger. Now, when you say water bottles, do you mean bottled water or actually no, like, just... like, you know, carrying around a jug. Okay. Well, that's, that's fine. Riley is going to go opposite. He goes, I think losing Brian Decker is a good thing. Maybe they'll take more chances on talent and playmakers uh, versus always using him as a lens to judge draft picks and I, free agents. I actually tend to agree with that. It, you know you know the one thing I never want to hear out of any sports franchise? Quit telling me about how... I'm not trying to pick on the Colts. This is true for all franchises, so I'm not speaking to the Colts. I, I'm just saying... The more you have to tell me about how great your character is, the more I think you're probably a complete loon. Well, who cares about character when you go four twelve and one? That's exactly right. You need a the, couple of the screws NFL plays loose. on Sundays because there's no expectation that you're actually going to the Tabernacle Choir, right? Buddy of mine refers to Assembly Hall as a Tabernacle, and I'm always confused by that. Do you like? Have you played at Tabernacle? No. Tab. Oh, yeah. Tab. I've passed the. Um, football You've never field been in right the there. gym inside. No, nice gym. The gym at Tab and, and one of the crown jewel hidden gyms of Indianapolis and G E M, but it's also a G Y M, is the basketball gym at Tab, which is at 38th between Washington and Penn. I guess right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is like the old school. When you walk into it, or if you're playing on it, it looks like the old school photos you'd see from like the 40s in New York City in a rec league. I, I feel like they played a high school game there. Yeah, I think that's right. Somewhat recently, and I think Kyle Nenrit maybe. Now my mom a from there. My mom played softball at Tab when she was a little girl, and she grew up off Central, and she was a runner on second base when she was in, I believe, first or second grade, and her teammate hit a line drive, and as she was running to third. She caught the ball, which made both of them out, right? Just her instinct. It was like a pop fly, so she stopped and caught it. So both of them were out, and she was so embarrassed, she dropped the ball and ran all the way home <laughs> to Central. It always makes me sad when I think about my poor mom in that situation. <laughs> That's a hell of a play. But Tab uh, is awesome. Off. Tab is awesome. Uh, I'm with Jimmy here. Hey, guys, can you only talk about Tiger Woods for three hours? Jake, uh, how much of Tiger Woods' opening round did you watch yesterday? Uh, I saw that he's within five shots, something like that. That's such a fierce Tiger mark. I love that. Uh, Tiger Woods, two under par yesterday. Yes, he is indeed five shots back of, I think it's Max Homa, I believe, in the lead. Uh, Tied for 20-something or other. Birdied his last three, the only person in the field yesterday to birdie 16, 17, 18. And that is notable. For a couple of reasons. One, it won Mark Dykin some money. Mm-hmm. Two, you know, when you watch Tiger out there, Jake, I'm always wondering, how is he going to finish these rounds? I mean, he's, he's limping. Right, right. And a hell of an effort by him in the closing stretch. He tees off here coming up in three hours. It's actually 1024 Eastern time. That would be 724 out in L.A. Jake, I think it's going to be, well, I looked up the weather last night because I'm a nerd. It's like 42-ish degrees when he tees off. Really? I do not love that for his body. No! Oh, Mark, you didn't look up the weather for no, round No, I didn't look two? up the weather, no. I looked up the weather when I what it was going to affect me. You at have, Tiger's knee. Are you saying you have a life? I do. 
Now, this is in what part of Los Angeles? Uh, Riviera Country Club. Oh, boy. I, um, oh, that's that's right Pacific over off Kessler. Palisades is what it said. I used to work there, there at the go. snack Thank bar. You, oh, all the pools? Oh, Rivy's the best. Uh, Los Angeles today. It is 46 degrees currently, but then the sun's not up. He's How gonna many pee- people do you think have peed in the pools at Rivy? Mm. <laughs> over under 392. You mean like since yesterday? Well... I mean, it's got to be higher than 392 now that I say that. Uh, the high today in Los Angeles, 65 degrees with cloud cover. Not at 7.24 a.m. At 7.24 a.m. in Los Angeles, it's going to be um, 48. It was a good day for Tiger yesterday. Again, the first time he's playing in a non-major since Did I say 38th for Tab? I meant 34th, sorry. 34th and Central. You're giving out wrong directions Between now. Central and, and Washington. Sorry. So, Mark, what was the bet? Uh, Tiger Woods, four or more birdies uh, in round one. So up until 16, he had two? Yeah, he had point? two. Mm-hmm. So I was like, ah, it's the end of that one. And then, boy, did uh, he did he turn it on. That, he made that long one on 17. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if that was going to get there. Uh, so, yes, Tiger Woods, round two. Uh, nice win for the IU women last night. They continue every time I feel like I watch them, they win and they beat these ranked teams by like fifteen. It's not just like eking by. Uh, Terry Moore's bunch. They beat Michigan last night. They're, South Carolina appears to be the only team in the country that could possibly even beat them. Doesn't it seem like Carolina a wide gap. Like well, I, I, yes, th- th- there's a gap from South Carolina to Indiana, and then there's a gap from Indiana. To correct. Everybody else. The, the gap is the same between. Yes, that's correct. I mean, Indiana is, they're unbelievable. They really are. Mackenzie Holmes, outstanding. Um, Grace Berger. I mean, they're getting like 10,000 people per game down there for women, for the women's games. Yeah. Yeah. IU Illinois coming up on the men's side. That'll be a noon tip tomorrow from Assembly Hall, Purdue, hosting Ohio State, as the Boilers certainly need that one. UND winning again, too. Step. I saw that. Kind of a close game mm-hmm. with Drury at times, but they win last night. So Paul Casaro and company now 17 in a row. Senior day tomorrow for the Greyhounds. That is Southwest Baptist coming up at 3 o'clock. Again, we got to get to Coach Cooter and the other name jake that reportedly for an offense coordinator for the colts a former national champion quarterback i saw that and one that has a connection to the colts right we'll explain that coming up a little bit later we've got a loaded eight o'clock hour greg rakestraw per usual every friday going to join us matt taylor voice of the colts he caught up with shane Sykes in one-on-one so we'll talk with mate Coming up around 8.30, we'll get a little Pacers All-Star Game update uh, later in the 8 o'clock hour, and then we'll uh, tap back into Philadelphia to learn more about Shane Steichen coming up at 9 o'clock. It is a chilly start to this Friday here, not only out in Riviera, but certainly here in Indianapolis. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm going to go a little bit outside the box here. Oh, Tiger? That's, that's unlike Tiger. you. What's that? So that's unlike you to go outside the box? Uh, Connor Daly making the Daytona 500, as we talked about earlier. He will start actually... Outside of row number 17, so he is spot number 34 amongst the 40. Jimmy Johnson will start 39th, by the way, and the Carvana Chevrolet. Essentially, yesterday, Connor Daly 
finished last in the race amongst those that are going to be starting in the Daytona 500, but he was still running at the end, and that's where he needed to be, which is where he was, and so his car wasn't very good, but he brought it home safely, and as a result, the Noblesville native and IndyCar driver will start uh, in Daytona. Yeah, speaking of safely... Alex uh, Bowman on the pole with Kyle Larson alongside Speaking of safely, Purdue was escorted safely off the court last night in College Park. That was about the only positive from the final 12 minutes of that one. They lose to Maryland 68-54, another court storming against the Boilers. Purdue had an eight-point lead with 14 minutes to go in the second half, and if you exited the living room for five minutes, you came back and the game was over. 29-4 run by Maryland. Zach Eady had... 18 and 8, but Purdue really got no other help outside of Braden Smith. A uh, 2 of 13 from behind the arc for Purdue. Maryland out rebounded them on the offensive end by seven. That is not something you typically see at all. Here was Matt Painter afterwards on the loss. Well, I thought Maryland did a great job of, of just being aggressive and getting the ball where they wanted to. And they, and they were the aggressor. Um, you know, give them credit. I thought we did a good job of handling their press, only having seven turnovers, but uh, one of the best rebounding teams in the country. And they just dominated us. You know, out rebound us by 12. Um, the combination of not being able to rebound and get some second chance opportunities on our end, I thought they did a great job of boxing us out. And then we got to be able to make some shots. You know, I thought we had some looks. I thought they did a good job defending us, but we still had some looks. And they could probably say the same thing on their end that just have to go down for us. We have to have a balance of driving the basketball, making threes, and getting post-ups for Zach. And when we don't have that balance, man, they're going to shrink the defense. Jake, when you look at Maryland this year, they've held Purdue to 58-54 and 54 in those two meetings. Whoever Purdue sees in the NCAA tournament, that team will be watching a lot of Maryland film and getting ready for Purdue. You know, Maryland did the same thing to an extent, Kevin. With remember with with Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, you mentioned just their low post play, but we we haven't talked about them at all. About how you know we talked about Northwestern in the Big Ten. We've talked about obviously Purdue and Indiana, but Maryland's just kind of. In other words, I don't think it's a totally egregious loss, except for that Purdue. It's a disturbing trend because they basically neutralized Zach Eady and nobody else stepped up right yeah Maryland's not lost at home in the Big Ten this season so I mean that is very noteworthy yeah for for, you know it's just more of a you've lost three or four um again it wasn't like Northwestern where you had the eight point lead with four minutes to go in the game I mean you had the eight point lead with 14 minutes to go in the game um but as Jake mentioned you're flirting with that one two line if this trend continues again Purdue's got Ohio State coming up on Sunday and for the Indiana men it will be Illinois at noon tomorrow uh, elsewhere, by the way, in college basketball last night, Southern Indiana 82-61 over, or 82-81, I should say, over Little Rock. That's the one other team from the area that was in action last night, at least from the state of Indiana. And IU women rolled per usual. I think it's now nine wins over ranked teams this season for Terry Moran's bunch. That one was not very close against I, Michigan. None of them are, Kevin, to your point earlier, right? I mean, they just are steamrolling people. Yeah, and again, these are high-ranked teams that they are – Steamrolling, And then tonight on our airwaves, you will hear it at 9 o'clock, the NBA Rising Stars game. That'll be Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard out in Salt Lake City for that. Tomorrow night, a three-point contest, Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald, the betting favorite in the three-point contest. And some pretty good names in that that we can touch on. And we then should on make some s- picks before the end of the show. 
three-point contest mm-hmm. picks? I was gonna there say, is no bigger sign of degeneration than that. Dunk contest picks, you really have to Google. We went over this yesterday. Yeah, that one I have no clue. Uh, and then the All-Star game on Sunday. Halliburton, of course, making his All-Star debut. If you missed him yesterday on the show, that is up on the podcast along with Rick Venturi's thoughts. When we come back, we'll get into the Colts' offensive coordinator... I guess early stages of that search. Certainly some interesting names already being thrown around. Any sort of um, you know, traits on the resume that you're looking for, we'll touch on that next year. Kevin Aquari on a chili. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Friday here in Indy. It is 21 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. Good morning to you. My name is Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton, the other two voices you hear on this program on a Friday. Happy Friday to you. Hope you are set for... A fun and or relaxing weekend. The no relaxation for the Indianapolis Colts, Kevin, when it comes to rounding out or not even rounding out, but I guess bolstering their coaching staff. We now know that they have a head coach in Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator from Philadelphia. But he now has to put together the staff below him and that would begin below him probably comes out the wrong way, but you get what I'm saying. Um, first question, Mark Kevin is offensive coordinator, right? Yeah, and I am. Um, well, you could argue certainly, you know, defensive coordinator, some other spots that might be a little bit higher on the but, list. But we kind of know who that's going to be, right? Yeah, I, I, I think the assumption is it's Gus Bradley again. We'll see how the process plays out with that. Bubba Ventrone, of course, special teams coordinator. I, I guess for offensive coordinator, Jake, what would you be looking for? Would you be looking for? Play calling experience, just in case Shane Steichen gets to a point where, like Nick Sirianni, he gets halfway through year one and says, ah, I want to give up these duties, and I want somebody on the staff that has done it before and I trust. Let me begin by saying this. Have you noticed that apparently everybody on Nick Sirianni's staff looks the same? It does look like they're made in a lab. Really? I, I feel like Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon looks... Well, I, I, they look identical to one another, right? At least like cousins or something. They're like, can we get like thin thirty-seven-year-old guys, please? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I get, I get, I can see that for sure. I, Eric Bieniemy, Kevin, and this is my question for you: Is it going to be difficult for the Colts to bring in an offensive coordinator for this reason? Eric Bieniemy has been the offensive coordinator in Kansas City for quite a while now. And I think a large part of why Eric Bieniemy is still the offensive coordinator in Kansas City and is not a head coach somewhere is because everybody knows that Eric Bieniemy is not the offensive coordinator that is calling the plays. Andy Reid is doing that. Shane Steichen is on record of saying, I'm going to be the one calling the plays in Indianapolis. Does that give hesitation to aspiring offensive coordinators to take that job, knowing that that puts on them the same glass ceiling that Eric Bieniemy's working under? Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, the responsibilities here are not, 
as immense as the responsibilities elsewhere. It's why Eric Bieniemy would not take the OC job here, as Eric Bieniemy looks to take offensive an offensive coordinator job somewhere else. But I, you know, I guess if I were Steichen, that would be something that I would have to ponder. It's do I want someone in that role that has had play calling experience? Again, I don't think that he will go down that path or make that an absolute prerequisite. Because, again, he has called plays now in each of the last four seasons in the NFL. Nick Sirianni had never called plays before he took the job in Philadelphia. I think what you would be looking for is you'd be looking for someone that is not afraid to challenge you, is not afraid to be a different personality. I thought the Frank Reich-Nick Sirianni relationship here worked well because they were two different personalities. And I would say more than anything, Jake, what you want out of this new coordinator is to have history in developing young quarterbacks. You know, that was probably the biggest con to hiring a Brian Callahan from Cincinnati was while he worked with great quarterbacks, the development aspect wasn't necessarily there. I mean, Joe Burrow to an extent, but, you know, the other three quarterbacks in Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr and Peyton Manning, all pretty established and that's who he'd worked with. Whereas Steichen, of course, has it with Justin Herbert, had it with Jalen Hurts as well. Um, so I think those are some traits that I would be looking for. Uh, the two names that we have seen so far, I believe the Colts have requested to interview both of these. Um, Jim Bob Cooter, who has been here before. Um, he was an assistant kind of late in the Caldwell era. Um, 38 years old, most recently with Jacksonville. And I think that's where I circled the resume of, okay, was just with Trevor Lawrence down there. He was Jacksonville's passing game coordinator. He does not call the plays in Jacksonville. If you look at their staff, he probably would fall kind of third in line. Doug Peterson, Press Taylor, and then him. Press Taylor, a former Reich assistant, a former Peterson assistant, was actually in Indy for a year and now is in Jacksonville. But he would be a name to watch. Jake, he actually has called plays. He was in Detroit with Caldwell, and Detroit had a lot of success. I mean, we kind of forget about the Jim Caldwell-Detroit era. That was actually successful for the Lions, and Jim Bob Cooter was the OC there, and Matthew Stafford had some of his best seasons there. So I'll be curious to see how that one plays out. Um, T. Martin is the name that yesterday I heard – People may be saying to themselves, when I when I saw the name T. Martin, the first thing that I'm, my brain immediately went T. Higgins. They're the only T's I know, I think. But uh, T. Martin, I think you had mentioned a national championship quarterback, Kevin. He's like one of those great trivia questions because people often forget that Tennessee won the national championship the year after Peyton Manning left. And it was T. Martin that kind of slid into that role, right? And was that the first BCS national championship? That might be right. Yeah. I think that was like the other T. Martin trivia question. You, know, His resume, Jake, as a coach is very extensive college-wise. He currently is with the Ravens as their wide receivers coach, uh, but he was at Tennessee, was at USC as well. And this is kind of another element that I think you're seeing some NFL teams look into. Should we hire assistant coaches, offensive coordinators that have college experience offensively. Because the college game is a lot different offensively than how the NFL looks. And the Colts did that with Scotty Montgomery, their running backs coach. He had a big-time college background. 
they hired him, and he was pretty much in charge of their run-pass option stuff. You know, the RPO craze that you hear about. I don't think it's as big of a deal for Shane Sykin to dip into that pool, Jake, because Shane Sykin seems to be very open-minded to the college game. I mean, he mentioned it at his press conference on Tuesday. One of the first things they did when Justin Herbert became the starter and Jalen Hurts became the starter in those those respective stops was, hey, let's watch Oregon film. <laughs> let's watch Oklahoma and Alabama film. What does he do well, or what did he do well in college, and let's implement some of that stuff into our own system. So, to me, that looks like the T. Martin kind of background, but again, I don't think Shane Sykin is some, you know, stuck-in-his-ways head coach and will not you know, explored the college avenue. Um, he clearly has already done that. May, may I ask a really dumb question? Sure. What is the responsibility of an offensive coordinator if they don't call the plays? I think it's a lot of game planning Just throughout to the week. Make sure that all plays that are called are in tip top shape. I think you are formulating a game plan for the week. You're running a lot of the offensive meetings, if not all of them, throughout the week as well. Um, and certainly you're a sounding board on game day as well. But I would say a lot of it has to do with the game plan and running those meetings. I would say those are the two biggest things. So in other words, biggest things. as the head coach is calling plays, it is your job to simply make sure, as the head coach is selecting what he wants to eat off the menu, it's your job to make sure that all dishes have been prepared the best way possible, right? Yeah, and I guess just you know, continue the analogy, like you know, making sure he's abreast of, hey, we're – running low on this item and by that i mean right okay hey this has worked out really well let's set this up for something in the third quarter you know things like that i would say that is where you're what you're looking into but again for me young quarterback history a different personality than steichen i think those are the attributes i'd be looking for the previous play calling experience eh, probably more of a luxury than anything the let's go back to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, to me, that that side in terms of the coordinator, Kevin, is a slam dunk, right? It just retaining Gus Bradley. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it probably is. I you know I kind of side with Rick Venturi a little bit. You know, I think we, I thought the defense was was good last year. I, I don't think it was historically great. I, I don't think it was a unit that would have you know carried you in the month of January again it was thrown into some awful situations uh, but I would I don't think the defense affects the passer enough I don't think it affected the passer in critical moments enough and I certainly don't think on the back end it made enough plays on the ball whether that was forcing turnovers or just again disrupting timing that was an issue I had with the defense and I'm just such a believer, Jake, that you don't force any coaches upon the new head coach. And I don't think Chris Boward would be doing that. And again, Shane Steichen has ample history with Gus Bradley. But if you want to interview other candidates, by all means, do it. I I would assume it will be Gus Bradley. but Yeah, I I would think that that's the case, right? We'll see on that. Is there... Would there be any way that Coach Cooter... You could go with something like Casey Cooter. Is Jim Bob the best scenario there? <laughs> Listen, what do you think the other names were that just missed on the cutting room floor? Wasn't he, if I'm not mistaken, Jim Bob Cooter was an absolute favorite of Peyton Manning's, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Do you think that's because his name was Jim Bob? 
I mean, you imagine. Well, you know, I mean, Jim Bob, you know, he did a great job, you know, coming up with the stuff. And he loved him. He, he would imagine constantly the, talk about him. Imagine the jokes Peyton had with old Jim Bob. Yeah, he uh, was here in Indy from 2009 to 2011. So the final three years of Caldwell, I guess the final three years of Peyton. And then he went to uh, Denver with him in 2013. Let me read you Jim Bob Cooter's resume, and you tell me. It, this looks like the resume from the better part of my career. You tell me what jumps out at you here, Kevin. You ready? You can stop me when you notice the pattern, or Mark. Okay. The, the career of Jim Bob Cooter, who is a native of Fayetteville, Tennessee, and attended the University of Tennessee. He was a graduate assistant for Tennessee from 2007 to 2008. Offensive assistant for the Colts from 2009 to 2011. Offensive quality control coach for the Chiefs in 2012. Offensive assistant for the Broncos in 2013. Quarterbacks coach of the Lions 2014 and 2015. Doesn't stay anywhere very long. Although offensive coordinator for the Lions 16-17. Running backs coach for the New York Jets 18-19 and 20. Consultant for the Philadelphia Eagles 2021. Jacksonville Jaguars Passing game coordinator, 2002 to present. Thank you, Mark. I I do think that's kind of the trend with a lot of these guys. I, I get it. I mean, if you, I, I guess. I mean, there's a lot of turnover. Like for example, Caldwell got fired in Detroit. The Matt Patricia thing did not go well, so he moved he, on. There. He's the pencil fellow, right? That Matt Patricia is it Patricia or Patricia? I think it's Patricia. Yeah, he does the uh, windbreaker and the pencil. Yeah, and that didn't go well. Now Mike says that Jim Bob Cooter's father is Harry Cooter. Mark, what are you doing this weekend? You got did big you, plans? Did you see oh, that? I guess yeah, we're looking for jobs okay. now. Did you see that on the Wikipedia updating, page? Updating your resume? Is that what you're doing mm-hmm. this weekend, Mark? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll be there with you at Kinko's, right? Did it mention the views parents? expressed by you Kevin Bowen do not reflect Avon? those of Jake Query and Mark Dykton. Or the fan. Tweets are his own. <laughs> Any mention of parents on their names, Jake? <laughs> okay, let's see here. Uh, no, I, I don't see the names of parents. Yeah, Jim Bob Cooter Third, you know, something along okay. those lines there. JB? Uh, so Jim Bob Cooter, T. Martin, the first couple of names we're hearing from an offense. Again, I think offensive line hire. If you want to talk about any offensive hire, that to me is uber important because you need veterans that need a kick in the ass and need to start playing like they get paid. And you need to continue the develop- development of Bernard Ryman. A question I'm going to throw to Greg Gregshaw coming up here in a few minutes, Jake. I'll give you four names, okay? Matt Ryan. Nick Foles, Kenny Moore, Ryan Kelly. Matt Ryan, Nick Foles, Kenny Moore, Ryan Kelly. How many of those are a Colt on April 1st? Um, maybe Kenny Moore. What's his deal? How long did he sign? He's got one year left. Yeah, um... I mean, you get him in a contract year, so maybe, you know. What if I send that to May 1st? Kenny Moore potentially traded to Chicago. No. Does Chicago, Chicago don't need him. Does Chicago want – does anybody want Kenny Moore? Chicago doesn't need Kenny Moore. They got he, had a, he had a really good year. Don't get me wrong. He had a really good year. And then as soon as he got it, he turned into kind of a pain. Right? The Zebra Flues think, hey, he had great success in my system. Depends Let's get him you, back in it. I, or does, or does he think, you know what, this guy's a free agent at the end of the year, we'll just wait and sign him, right? Who from Philly's coming over with Steichen? 
Well, this is what we talked about earlier in the week. With Jonathan Gannon going to Arizona, you've got this crazy race in really three spots for Eagles assistant coaches. Nick Sirianni's going to want to promote some of those guys to take over for the two coordinators leaving. And Jonathan Gannon and Shane Sykin probably would like to dip into that Philly staff, who they're familiar with, and bring people with them to Indy and Arizona, respectively. Can I, can I throw a free agent at you that I think the, the Colts could land from the Eagles? Eagles got a lot of free agents, don't they? How about Gardner Minshew? He's been in Steichen's offense, could help yeah. groom the young guy. Sign me up. Mm-hmm. Sign me up as a you know a, He's a, a solid backup, right? Yeah, nice backup. He's a free agent, like you said, Mark. Knows Let's the just system. go through everybody. What about Randall Cunningham? What's he doing? Can we oh, go through everybody that's Randall ever played Cunningham. in Philly? Randall Cunningham. He's the QB one right now. That's right. Donovan McNabb. What's he up to? Throwing up on the I, I sidelines again. A, I, don't know. I think that's a good name, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Ryan, Nick Foles. No chance they're here. Gardner Minshew makes makes a lot of sense to me. Ryan Kelly, Kenny Moore. I think you... You get I, the veteran guy that's been in the system, help groom the young guy. If he's got to step in for a game or two, he can. He knows the offense and what Steichen will be calling. Makes a lot of sense. Are you saying that, that Gardner would be a guy that comes as they plant the seed for the new quarterback right. and allows it to mm-hmm. grow? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you were going to go with a Gardner-Cooter reference. <laughs> no. No, I think we've exhausted... Have we exhausted that? No, we haven't exhausted... Well, actually, no. But in terms of our job security, perhaps. You definitely put us on the rocks here, Kev. <laughs> It's a team effort here. Let's not oh, when, throw out individuals. Speak for yourself. I got news for you. You might think I'm the guy that's going to go in the trenches with you, but you know what? I'm not sitting on any grenades. Yeah. Greg I've, Rakestraw. I've been through the rigors. Greg Rakestraw joins us next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Good Friday morning to you. 8 o'clock hours here. Greg Rakestraw joins us right now. We're getting into... Busy stretch here of the winter sports season on the high school front. A whole lot to get to with Rake. Rake, I didn't realize this. Uh, My wife used to coach junior high volleyball. We ran into one of her former players, and she's on the Chatard girls basketball team. And she's like, yeah, we've got two games coming up, or hopefully two games for semi-state. And I'm thinking, wait, since when is semi-state two games? This was news to me, Rake. Flip the format this year. Uh, one game regional, two game semi-state. So they basically reversed uh, what they have been doing in terms of the IHSAA for the last 20 years. When we first went to class sports in 98, the first four years was a one game regional. I remember those actually being midweek. Uh, and then it was a two game semi-state. And the reason behind it is that you get 32 teams and 32 communities talking about making it to the semi-state round instead of 16. So it gets more teams to a third week of the postseason, and uh, we get to play at eight different venues across the state, so more great gyms and facilities get used. We get the boys draw on Sunday, is that right? I have the boys draw on Sunday, yes, sir. Nice. You can hear that right here, I believe. That is correct, 5 o'clock. So the – Greg, I know we've talked about this. I mean – in which class, I guess I should say, has which class has the biggest clear-cut favorite? Ben Davis in 4A. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I say that, and two teams in their sectional, one in Southport took them to overtime, the other in Pike 
was beaten by four early in the year, both those games, in fact, within three days of each other, uh, November 30th and December the 2nd. Pi- or ben Davis kind of caught fire in terms of not just wins, but how they were playing from about mid-December on and have not looked back. But Ben Davis at 24-0 and with two games left to play is the obvious favorite in 4A. And am I correct in saying, Greg, uh, you know this, Greg Rakestraw is our guest. Obviously, you would know this better than I, which is why I'll defer to you on it. But it's my understanding that Ben Davis is really plays well together as a team. I mean, it's not like they have one guy that's carrying them. They are very balanced, fact or fiction. That is absolute fact. They do not have a single player averaging more than 13 points. And again, they are so reminiscent of a team from just five years ago in Warren Central. Uh, you know, Warren Central, part of that team five years ago, two of those kids are the star players at UIndy. That's 23-2. and two. Uh, The majority of those Warren Central kids were Division II NAIA kids. The, the obvious exception is David Bell, now playing for the Cleveland Browns. But that Warren team went 32-0. and This Ben Davis team, depending on how the draw shakes out coming up on Sunday, uh, in their sectional, they could end up you know, playing three games. If they win those and win out, they would finish 33-0, and which would be the most wins ever in an undefeated season in the history of, of Indiana high school boys basketball. Again, it won't be easy because they play great teams every step of the way, but Ben Davis is truly a great team. There is not one guy they rely on. Wow, it's quite impressive when you put it in that in those um, uh, parameters based off the 33-0 and possibility. Greg Rakestraw is with us, ISC Sports Network. Rake, I, I usually ask this question to you, I don't know, maybe once every month, so I feel like now is a good time with the Selection Sunday less than a month away. Uh, let's throw the number of two and a half at you. Over, under, two and a half teams from the state of Indiana to make the tournament. Over. Uh, obviously, Indiana and Purdue are in. And I think between Indiana State and Ball State, let's say that one of those uh, hopefully is able to back up their recent play by making a run in their respective conference tournaments. So, let's say over. And both of those, correct me if I'm wrong, Ball State's been a little bit more consistent, correct? It doesn't seem like there's like a dominant MAC team. And in Indiana State's case, I guess I don't think there's a dominant Missouri Valley team. That is correct. Um, you know, and, and Indiana State has been very streaky. I think their conference math is that they won their first six, lost their next five, and have won their next six since that time, and they, not Ball State, but they, the Horizon League teams, uh, and the other Valley teams, all end their regular seasons next week because conference tournament play then starts the week after. The Mid-American Conference is kind of on the Big East, Big Ten, ACC schedule, where their conference tournament championship game in Cleveland is the you know Saturday, the night before, uh, the uh, you know the selection Sunday, so it, it is ending quickly uh, for you know half of the teams, and from a Division One standpoint, the state of Indiana. I'll tell you the one that that fascinates me of those teams that we're just talking about collegiately, Greg. Let's go back to Indiana State when they hired Josh Schertz as their head coach. I, you know, this is a guy that didn't come from Division One, correct? But he won eighty-five percent of his games at Lincoln Memorial, I don't think anybody knew anything about him. And they had a rocky start a year ago. Um, you know, and Sherrard Klinkscales went way outside the box in that hire. But I'll be honest, man, you look at it now, and it's like, it looks like he's putting something together there and that they have a pretty solid footing in the way they play. 
Well, coaches knew because, you know, the, the, the ultimate compliment that one coach will give another is the phrase, man, they run some really good stuff. You know, they, they do some things offensively and, and how they structure a team and how they run a practice that other coaches try to emulate. And I have heard that from multiple people about Josh Schertz. Secondarily, uh, what you are seeing is that now these mid-major to low-major jobs in Division One are taking more of a look at the guys at Division Two. Seemingly, those Division Two guys were kind of bumping their head against the ceiling, and the NAI coaches would also fit in, into that mold as well, that, that they would have these tremendous records at the small college level, but guys in the Division One ranks would not give them a chance. Well, now you're starting to see that change. For example, um, kind of a similar story. The record not quite as good, but close. Milwaukee, who has struggled mightily for the last decade, they hired a guy named Bart Lundy, who was at Queens, which is going Division One, but had racked up huge wins in Division Two. He's led Milwaukee to 16-17 wins, which is the most they have had in some time. Um, well, Josh at Lincoln Memorial was absolutely tremendous. And if you look at a lot of the talent base that Josh is pulling from, I think there are six or seven guys on his, say, top 11 or 12 that played at the Division II level at some point in time. In other words, what Indiana State and Shark Clink Scales did was tap into a market that was kind of underutilized. You know, it's and funny, it's a matter too, Greg. of, okay, how do we create an advantage that others don't and that's exactly I mean, what they've done in Terre Haute, and I'm glad they're getting rewarded for B-line, it. Beeline, you know, John Beeline, uh, he's a guy that had success yep. like at every single – the division. And I guess eventually you kind of figure out, look, the game – the players might change. The the size might change. But the X's and O's are still kind of the same in terms of there's only so many ways to score the basketball. And, and if you uh, win so, a ton of games at 3-2 and two level, why wouldn't you win at the 1 level? And I'm so glad you brought that up because 15, 20 years ago – he was the guy that everybody would talk about. Like, if you ask coaches who one of the best coaches in the country was, it was Beeline. That's before I ever got to Michigan. I mean, that, that was Beeline when he was at Canisius. That was Beeline when he was at, at West Virginia, Richmond, et cetera, uh, because winning basketball is winning basketball. The only difference is, can you figure out a way to get the players that you need to play that winning basketball? And in the era of the transfer portal, and in the era of space the floor and find guys that can knock down threes, seemingly more and more coaches can absolutely do that. Rick, maybe it's too early to have this conversation, and maybe you don't want to have it considering it's your alma mater, but is Paul Casaro <laughs> kind of on that track record? I mean, it's a, it's incredible what they've done this year. Yeah, 17 consecutive wins, 23-2, and two, in line to host the regional and, and the way that the postseason works at the Division II level, there are eight regional sites across the country, uh, and it is teams from a specific region that all stay within their region uh, to play there. UND was slated to host in 2020, and then COVID hit, and those games never played. The last time UND hosted, you got to go back to when, well, I was in college, 1997, 26 years ago. UND has three regular season left. They have their conference tournament left, but all signs are pointing to UND getting to host their number six in the country. If UND then would to work to win that regional, they would also get to play their national tournament level games, the Elite Eight, also in the state of Indiana, because that takes place at the Ford Center down in Evansville. So things are setting up for the Hounds, and as far as Paul is concerned, 
I absolutely could see him getting a look. Now, Indy is the alma mater. He is a Ron Colley guy, so being from the south side of Indianapolis has some pull. He was an assistant coach for John Kaufman at Purdue-Fort Wayne before he then took the job at the University of Indianapolis. So is Paul a guy that could get a look? Absolutely. What I will say is this. Guys like Josh Schertz, Bart Lundy, and others probably have won at a high level for a number of years. Yeah, 15 years, right? that opportunity right. for Paul. This is just his third year at UND and really their first kind of breakthrough year. Rick, let's shift gears to the Colts. And again, Greg Rakestraw, ISC Sports Network, joins us now. Um, you know, and going back and listening to that press conference again from Tuesday, Rick, I thought something that really stood out to me is Jim Mersey made it very clear that the offensive background of Shane Steichen was a huge, huge factor in this. And I think we had a debate all throughout this long process of would they lean more towards leader or more towards offense. And obviously, you're trying to find a balance in that. But, you know, they, again, Ursay, I think, almost looks at it as we've had such a historically bad offense last season. We cannot afford for that side of the ball to kind of skimp, if you will. And I almost think that aspect stood out more than any other for Ursay in particular. That's awfully fair. And again, I partner it with you finally have to go the young quarterback route. And again, I understand. I can get the logic quickly of why every move was made from August of 2019 on. I tend to agree and say, okay, yep, I see why you're going that route. You have finally hit a point where it's like, nope, you have to get a guy at the top of the draft, whether that's at four, whether that's at one, whether that's at two, because I see different scenarios where you could get to those picks. Uh, But you have to go out and get your guy at quarterback and build young from the quarterback. And if you are going to do that, what you want to do is have a young offensive mind to pair with him, and which is why I thought Shane Steichen was the absolute perfect fit. You know, Greg, I mentioned this earlier to Kevin. If you were building, if you're a general manager, the two most important pillars, to use that phrase, that you need for stability within your organization are the head coach and the quarterback. And Chris Ballard is in a unique situation as a general manager in the fact that he inherited a quarterback that burnt the franchise and he hired a head coach that burnt the franchise a couple days later and then set him back to square one. Does it give him hesitation? Is part of the reason why it's taken this long to draft a young quarterback from Chris Ballard the fact that he knows he absolutely has to get it right and that that PTSD, for lack of a better phrase, is still there, not once, but twice. Dear God, I hope not. Because you, you, you can't lead an organization that way. Again, I, I, I think it's just a matter of people that were taken as free agents did, did two years. Um, the McDaniels thing, given what his coaching record was with, with Vegas this past year, you know, I, I think that worked out better for everybody involved. I realized by the time we got to year five of Frank Reich, it was time to move on. But no, in 2019, you did the best you could with Jacoby Brissett. In 2020, when I got Phillip Rivers, I had to think in my heart of hearts the Colts had hoped he was going to play for two years and not just one. What the Colts had in terms of draft capital and their available talent the best answer was to try to get Carson Wentz thinking that Frank Reich would get the absolute best out of Wentz he could, and that didn't work. When Matt Ryan was brought in, I thought, you know what? 
veteran upgrade. Again, you've got pieces all around. This is going to be great. And it wasn't. And the offensive line regressed terribly. So I think it's more circumstances or simply things not working out the way that you thought they were going to. I don't think there is any sort of fear uh, in terms of, I'm afraid to make a move at head coach. I'm afraid to make a move at, at, at quarterback. I don't think that's the case at all. Rick, I know he's not you know the most popular name among Colts fans, but when I saw that Brian Decker, who is kind of Chris Ballard's personality, character dude, the former Army Beret who Ballard hired very early in his process really to vet a lot of draft prospects, he's joining Frank Reich's staff in Carolina. Again, character when you're 4-12-1, clearly you have some issues inside of your locker room from a culture standpoint. But I would say when I saw that news... I was just surprised. Like, if you were going to tell me people that would leave the Colts to join Frank Reich, Parks Frazier was obvious. I would not have had Brian Decker, who, by all accounts, was a big part of the coaching search for Shane Sykin. I would not have had him second on the list. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting when I saw that, too. But I am far more concerned with the players on the field, the guys in the locker room, than those, per se, in the front office other than the guy that is making that decision in the front office. So, caught my attention as well, but uh, I guess I'd say I moved on quickly from it, Kevin. We, uh, Indy 11 announcement today, looks like unveiled renderings and May 2023 groundbreaking for the new stadium. That's just wonderful to see. And obviously the whole idea has been is that it's going to be a two-year process in terms of building that stadium and having it be ready because people have always asked, hey, I'm running up the stadium. Really, the last kind of bit of news of it was was at the end of June. And the front office and ownership have kind of played it close to the vest. Uh, but I have told people, listen, the funding mechanism is there. Uh, the, the land purchase is there. It's not a matter of, of if. It's simply a matter of when. And today's news further cements that. Uh, are there any public dollars going into it? Uh, no. Uh, in other words, it's it's all from kind of tax revenues on the back end. So that's public dollars. Yeah, but again, I, Jake, that's above my pay grade in terms of explaining the mechanism. I'm a sports guy, not an economist. Uh, and so it's there, there's a funding mechanism, and I'm sure I can point you to somebody that can explain it better than me. If it's a user, my guess would be, Greg, that it is a user tax, and by that it means exactly. you are only Correct. taking tax dollars off of revenue that comes from directly that site. So if you don't use the Indy 11 Stadium, then your tax dollars are not going into it. That's there what, you go. like the Speedway had that, I know, when they did the renovations, the Speedway did what's called a user tax, which meant that if you are not purchasing items from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, your tax dollars are not going into it. That's always been my thing, Greg. I have nothing against the Indy 11. When when we built the largest publicly subsidized stadium in the history of the United States of America in Lucas Oil Stadium, we were told as taxpayers that it was multi-purpose and it was one-size-fits-all and that everything would be able to go into it. And that's why we spent $720 million tax, tax dollars on it. So... I hope I certainly hope that there are no dollars that come from it except for the, those that are using it. And I realize that's right. out of your pay grade. Right. I believe that to be the case, but again, I have been further I've been much more studying the dudes that are on the team than the place they're going to play in 2025. Rake, have a great weekend, man. Thank you guys. Greg Rakestraw right there on the Payless Liquors hotline.
Um, again, just to the west, for those that have not followed the Indy 11 and the stadium project here, um, just to the west of Lucas Oil Stadium, um, certainly the funding of this project, Jake, is something that needs big-time discussion. No question. I, I do it's, think that's a part of downtown that could use a big-time injection I, of life. But I, Kevin, and I don't want to go off on a tangent that's going to PO people. I get it. I know people love soccer. I have nothing against the soccer I I was a season ticket holder for the Indy 11. I have nothing against any. Were you of that. in the Brickyard Battalion? I was not. I didn't wear um, scarfs or flags. Okay, we can get one from Tony Katz. But I don't disagree with you that downtown could use a jolt. But you know what? It needs it in its core. Two hundred and five thousand square feet of new office space. When everybody's doing work from home still, and the Salesforce Tower right here is at like fifty percent occupancy. 195,000 square footage of new retail restaurant space when Palomino, empty. Champs, empty. Rock Bottom, empty. I could go on and on. Walk around right now. We're on Monument Circle. It's beautiful. I love the monument. I love everything about Indianapolis. You walk around downtown, it is a shell of what it was five years ago. And what this city needs to do is prioritize getting back the downtown inner core right now before all of a sudden deciding to grow and expand in other areas conventions that come to indianapolis areas that come to indianapolis we have the highest hospitality tax in the united states of america in terms of our hotel tax and our rental car tax because of the fact that we have to pay off the largest publicly subsidized stadium in the history of the united states and that has caused conventions to decide to look elsewhere louisville cincinnati chicago if you're going to pay 19 percent on your hotel tax would you rather do it in indianapolis indiana or las vegas or new york city or chicago for your convention we are so, if you walk around downtown Indianapolis right now, it is such a sad state in terms of the economic affairs of the things that are depleting downtown Indianapolis that I just cannot possibly, if they want to do it privately to build this huge new complex for a 20,000 seat stadium for a team that's lucky to get 2,500 people per game and 90% of the people in this town don't even know when their schedule is, then they can do it all day, all day, every day if they want to pay their own dollars. Do not ask for a single penny from the taxpayers of Indianapolis that are not using that. And maybe they haven't. And maybe, and I hope they have not. If they have, then absolutely everybody in this town should jump up and down and say it is a total sham, a total sham, because if there's money that can be appropriated and raised for the people of Indianapolis and the city of Indianapolis and the restaurants of Indianapolis and the offices of Indianapolis, it should come within the inner core that people that are coming to this city and enjoying this city for years have enjoyed because it is becoming all of a sudden a, a space downtown when you walk around that is a sad, sad, sad deterioration and reflection of what we've gone through as a country and as a city the last five years. And if you ask me for a single penny to support support something that is absolutely 1,000%, in my opinion, has a small, small, small percentage of people that are going to use it, then you're going to expect me to jump off the mountaintops every day about it. End of rant. Do we know that? No, well, I know that the... I mean, is it all user tax? No, I, I hope so. And, and and to their credit, again, I have nothing against the Indy 11 as a franchise and whatever else, but every single proposal that they've shown up until this point has had public dollars invested in it. Again, I want to make very clear before people jump all over me, it is not, it is not what they have designed that I have issue with. 
it is simply the fact of i'm sorry but you have to at some point there are luxuries and there are necessities and you have to at some point address your necessities before you address your luxuries and if it comes to when it, and i'm just speaking of public i would bet you that there are tax dollars going into it that, that's all i'll say Matt Taylor, Voice of the Colts, going to join us here in a few. Again, we got a loaded 8 o'clock hour filled with guests. We'll get an all-star update from the Pacers coming up a little bit later. And then uh, talk Shane Sykin um, coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. That will be from Philadelphia's uh, point of view. We'll have John Marks, who does radio out there in Philly, join us to talk a little bit more about Shane Sykin. For now, though, morning checkdown time. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Probably the worst five, six-minute stretch of the season last night for Purdue and College Park. They were up eight with 14 minutes to go. If you left the television set for any reason, over the next six minutes, you came back and the game was all but over. You're like, what happened? Twenty-four to nine run by, uh, or excuse me, twenty-nine to four run by Maryland there that turned that eight-point deficit into a resounding victory. Here was Matt Painter afterwards on the loss. Well, I thought Maryland did a great job of, of just being aggressive and getting the ball where they wanted to, and they, and they were the aggressor. Um, you know, give them credit. I thought we did a good job of handling their press, only having seven turnovers, but more than the best rebounding team in the country and they just dominated us you know out rebound us by 12 um, the combination of not being able to rebound and get some second chance opportunities on our end but they did a great job of boxing us out and then we got to be able to make some shots you know i thought we had some looks i thought they did a good job defending us but we still had some looks and they could probably say the same thing on their end that just have to go down for us we have to have a balance of driving the basketball making threes and getting post-ups for zach and when we don't have that balance man they're going to shrink the defense kevin that run by Maryland last night probably is how you felt during my soccer rant. You're like, well, that escalated quickly, right? <laughs> well, no, I, I know that that is a nerve. Uh, understand. I just wish we we probably probably should have looking a little deeper into the economic financial state of the funding of it I from guarantee a user it. tax standpoint. I'm just telling you. My favorite part was you said, I don't want to go off on a tangent. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I didn't want to hijack it for two hours is what I meant. No, uh, I know. Purdue, it was funny. two of 13 from behind the arc last night uh, for Purdue. Next up, Ohio State in Mackey. Ohio State has won one game since New Year's. Uh, NBA last night, by the way, Bucks over the Bulls, 112-100. to It was the Wiz over the Timberwolves, 114-106, and the Clippers, 116-107 over the Phoenix Suns. But now it is the All-Star break, and that means Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halliburton, Andrew Nimhard, Benedict Matherin, all involved, right? Yeah, the Rising Stars will have that game on our airwaves tonight at 9 o'clock. Again, Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nimhard in that. The three-point contest tomorrow, Buddy Heald, and Tyrese Halliburton taking part. Buddy Heald uh, won the title just a couple years ago. Carl Anthony Towns, the defending champ. Not competing, though. you got Jason Tatum, Tyler Hero. Um, you've got some pretty... I saw Julius Randle, I believe, taking Anthony Simon's spot. Damian Lillard. So you got some pretty good names in the three-point contest. Has the three-point contest now overtaken the dunk contest? Without question. I mean, look at the star power. Should they flip it? Should they end the night with the three-point contest? I mean, it's probably not getting too far away from that happening. 
the dunk contest problem is they're just typically it's names. You're like, who, who are these guys? Right? Names and again, you said we, someone's in the G League that's playing or something. We just see them all. We we see the IUPUI kid, number one dunk a few weeks ago. We see all these dunks now, right? Based off highlights, social media, etc. A shout out to Terry Moore and the Indiana women. They continue their really dominance this season, particularly over ranked teams. They win last night, commanding fashion over Michigan. And Jake, uh, good news on the Connor Daly front. Daytona 500. Yeah, Connor Daly is in the Daytona 500 yesterday. Uh, he did not have a great car. There's no doubt about it. But what Daly had to do was finish uh, amongst those. He had to finish the race, basically, the qualifying race, um, and bring it home in one piece, and he did exactly that. So Connor Daly, who might have finished in the final spot amongst those that were trying to qualify, but he still finished. So Connor Daly starts 34th for the Great American Race. That is outside of row number 17 alongside Ty Gibbs. Alex Bowman, Kyle Larson in row number one. Joey Logano, Eric Almarola in the second row. We'll survive in advance from Connor Daly. Survive in advance, baby. Uh, Not a great car. I'd love to talk. Well, I'd love to talk Tiger Woods the next 90 minutes. Jake would love to talk Indy 11 Stadium for That's the next right. 90 minutes. But we'll get back into the Colts conversation. Coming up next, he is the voice, Matt Taylor. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's been a while since our next guest has joined us, Matt Taylor. Very gracious with his time during the season and off-season, so we don't bother Matt Taylor too much, but he did get a little one-on-one time with Shane Sykin earlier this week, so we figured a great time to get Mate back on the horn. Matt Taylor, good Friday morning to you, man. What's going on? Good to be back with you, fellas, and especially uh, better to be back on with some Guns and Roses coming back. Hell yeah. There you that. go, Matt. Nothing there says you go. pitchers and catchers for the Reds like Guns and Roses. We're going to win 27 Greatest band games, ever Matt. <laughs> I think the I think the win projection total is like at twenty three this year, which is a step up from two thousand twenty two. Yeah, wait a minute, uh-huh. baby steps. Yeah, Matt, I don't know if we've gone over this before. Who will are win you, more games? Are Pacers you a Guns or Reds? and Roses guy, Matt? I am. I am. Probably not as much as you because I've I've heard you talk about your, um, you know, your consistency over the years, seeing them multiple times. I've seen them one time, um, but I mean, I, Jake, I was. My my first two album purchases or CD purchases back in the day with my own money were Back in Black followed by Appetite for Destruction. Yeah, it's Appetite is so good, man. I mean, I realize it's a short win. Like, Guns N' Roses... Yes! It, okay, thanks. They're like the <laughs> Kurt Warner of bands, right? Like, it wasn't a long window, but man, it was awfully good while it was there. <laughs> it's like CCR back in the day. They pumped out, like, five different number one albums from like 1968 to 1970. That's right. I'm right there with you. I mean, hey, let's talk about the Colts in terms of, um, you know, you never know when you hire a new head coach, right? Are you bringing in CCR or are you bringing in (laughs) Creed? You know, you never know. But your your initial thoughts on Shane Steichen. Yeah, this is not. Um, yeah, this is this is not like a a '90s or early 2000s. This is like it's not like Fuel or some other like flame out crappy uh, alternative band here with Shane Steichen coming in. This is a guy that um, you know. This is like uh, this is some some really good you know like Rolling Stones and some some Beatles territory here. If you want to make a really bad music analogy, but this is a guy that's proven. I mean, he's 37 years old. He's been in the NFL since 2011, so over a decade, and he's worked his way up. I mean, he's he's had every title possible, even working on the defensive side of the football, and 
You know, he's OC for for three years, has had a really good amount of success calling plays and working with a lot of different skill players, working with a lot of different styles of quarterbacks. And I think just when he comes in, he's got a lot of experience with just different ways to get it done. You know, he's worked with a, a traditional pocket passer. He's worked with a spread guy turned into a play-action guy and Justin Herbert. And then the dual threat, just you know, incredibly athletic and mobility of uh, of Jalen Hurts, but also improving his accuracy along the way. So uh, I'm just incredibly excited about what he can be within this offense because, you know, just marrying Jonathan Taylor with his run schemes and his creativity, plus hopefully this offensive line can bounce back. I think there's so many different levels of optimism here. But for me, I just go back to Taylor and the fact that he's coming back Hopefully he's healthy, can shake loose of that ankle surgery that he had about a month ago. Um, But, you know, you look at the Eagles' offense, I mean, they're number one by a wide margin in rushing each of the last two years in the NFL. And, you know, over 5,000 yards combined since he took over in 2021 as the play caller. Uh, Routinely, you know, over 150 rushing yards per game. So I like the fact that he's going to throw to score and run to win. I mean, that's that's a very modern-day NFL type of slogan. I love that, and hopefully that can complement what the Colts have in the cupboard with their skill players on offense. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Maytay, the thing I was most interested about Shane Second on Tuesday was just what type of communicator would he be? You know, the offensive resume speaks for itself. It's quite impressive. You just laid it out there. I mean, very diverse from a quarterback background. But boy, once he got through the emotional, completely understanding, emotional part of the biggest professional day of his life, when it came down to Q&A about football, that dude was direct, did not waste words, um, spoke with conviction. I, I feel like that leadership style, that is one that resonates pretty well for a football team. Yeah, I mean, if you just watch the press conference and then you listen to him speak and then you listen back to the interview, where he's most comfortable is when he's just talking ball. And he he's a guy that I think, in, in short order, just getting to know him and researching him and, again, listening to him talk, he can process a lot of information in a short period of time. He's a very bright, intelligent guy. And that's why I think you feel comfortable with him coming in as a first-year head coach and being able to – He's got to be able to handle the entire roster and handle the game management stuff, but also call the plays. And I think that's why he's capable of doing that because he's just really, really intelligent. And why, why wouldn't you want him calling plays when he's been so successful doing it with the Philadelphia Eagles? I mean, granted, I know they've got good players, right? They've got six pro bowlers on that side of the ball in Philly when, and Jalen Hurts and Smith and A.J. Brown but there's still a guy that has to put it all together. There's only one football to go around, and he made it work, and he kept everybody happy, and he kept that machine humming. Um, so why why wouldn't you want that to carry over here with the Colts? Now, that being said, he's going to have to trust himself with some people around him that he's confident in that can help him with the game management stuff, that he's not second-guessing them on the fly because the game happens so fast, and you know there's only 40 seconds between the, you know, the, the play clock and all of that, but... Um, yeah, he, he's just a guy that I think once he starts talking football, he starts picking up the pace of his speech pattern. He starts talking more you know, confidently. He starts to talk a little bit more loudly. And um, that's when he's truly in his element because he's just, you can tell, a football guy, a football lifer that loves to talk ball, and he's really good at it. 
Matt, when I look at this roster, I guess shifting gears a little bit here, obviously the quarterback draft pick speaks for itself. But if you're going to say, all right, Kevin, pick the most important player on the Colts roster for the 2023 season, non-quarterback, I would say Bernard Ryman. Who would you say? Yeah, I would say he's up there. I would say... And I guess, if make an amendment to my question, so apologies there, for this year and beyond... Like, if you can develop Ryman, you know, if you're going to rank the top five positions on a football team, left tackle's got to be somewhere on that list. If you could cross that off with a third-round rookie contract draft pick, that Mm -hmm. would do wonders for supporting the quarterback of the future and just in general the makeup of your franchise and roster moving forward. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And hopefully... You know, I don't know if you at this point in mid-February before the you know the, the next off-season workout program begins, right? I don't know if you just get out the the pen or the sharpie and, and write in Bernard Ryman's name, but you definitely put it in in pencil because of the steps that he took towards the end of last year. And you know, we all know last year wasn't perfect for Bernard. It was far from that. He had his ups and downs, and again, quite frankly, those downs came in big moments, late in games, and. Um, you know, he took his lumps, but he also puts, put together a nice little streak there towards the end of the season where, you know, he, he had some nice building block moments and the footwork got better, the IQ got better, the situational awareness of, of pass rushers got better. So definitely, yeah, left tackles up there. I would also go and, and stay on offense and say just skill players and, and wide receiver. You know, does it make sense for the Colts to draft a young wide receiver you know, high in this draft, either in the second round or the third round, to pair with potentially a young rookie quarterback to sort of just grow those two guys in terms of chemistry and and synergy for years to come. And I know they still got Michael Pittman. He's going into the last year of his rookie deal, so he would sort of qualify in that mold to help a young quarterback grow and to sort of just be that security blanket and, and to know that you know, you can always throw it to me and, you know, in, on possession type uh, downs and I can make a play for you. Alec Pierce, obviously, going into year number two. Jelani Woods going into year number two. But I think it makes a lot of sense to at least consider drafting another key skill player on offense to help take a lot of, you know, responsibility and, and shoulder, um, or just, you know, I guess just take some of that. Um, he's going to be dealing with so much in terms of marketing off the field and pressure on the field. Just help that guy as much as you can with a young quarterback, with with some skill players to throw the football to, rely on Jonathan Taylor, you know, throw the ball to Jonathan Taylor as well. I mean, Shane Steichen talked about that this week when we talked to him in our interview. You know, the tailback got to be your best friend as a young rookie quarterback if the Colts decide to go that route. So. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense to continue to develop Ryman, and hopefully he can turn into that cornerstone left tackle and then maybe draft another skill player to help a young quarterback breed confidence and uh, get off to a good start in his career. Matt, we uh, final minute here. We had Rick Venturi, your partner on yesterday. He made this point. I, I agree with him. Um, of those that you're looking to re-sign, if you're Chris Ballard in terms of free agency, I think the guy that probably might give you best return on investment and also I think just kind of proved that he's a guy that you can rely on to answer whatever bell you throw his way is Bobby Okereke. You agree with that? I do agree with that. I think it's just, unfortunately, I think it's going to be... A lot of dollars I mean, at linebacker. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it just boils down to the health and the rehab of Shaq Leonard 
because if you have a healthy Shaq Leonard, you're not going to not play him because of the way he can you know, change the game and take the football away. Um, Zaire Franklin proved he can be an every-down linebacker. I mean, for crying out loud, he set the you know franchise record for tackles in a single season. So he earned a, a spot on the field, and he's under contract. So he'd be a, a, hard, a guy that's you know really hard to take off the field. H- how many... How many linebackers can you have? How many? You know, how much money can you invest at that position? Because you don't play with three linebackers on the field all that often. I mean, the NFL is primarily a sub-package league in nickel and dime. Um, so, yeah, it, it just boils down to the financials and the roster construction. It has nothing to do with Bobby, uh, you know, both both professionally and personally. I just think it boils down to where is Shaq Leonard by the time free agency rolls around. I think – you know he he's going to have some interest uh, outside of Indianapolis uh, with with teams that need a you know consistent proven every down linebacker. That's exactly who Bobby Okereke is. The guy to me, I, I think the highest priority guy for me in free agency is probably Paris Campbell because he proved that he can stay healthy. Seventeen game guy, and I still think you have untapped potential in him because of the quarterback carousel from last year. I think. He had a good year. He could have had an even better year had he had consistent quarterback play around him. So it's going to be really interesting when you look at Ngakwe, Paris, Okereke, Chase McLaughlin. Um, every year you've got high-profile free agents, but this year the Colts have some interesting calls to make with their in-house guys, and um, we'll see how it all kind of shakes out with the backdrop of what do they do in the draft and how do they um, you know, achieve quarterback stability. And the potential return of Yannick Ngakwe could, or excuse me, of Gus Bradley would be huge for Yannick Ngakwe's candidacy to return here to Indy. Mate, always good hearing from you, man. Hope the family is doing great, and uh, hopefully we can have you back on here in a few weeks. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah, likewise, guys. Appreciate it. Call anytime. Jake, in the history of the show, I don't know if we've ever had anyone ever call in live from the state of Utah. <laughs> Fair, right? We have Julian Blackman, maybe, when he was drafted. I'm trying to think. I, I don't believe we have had we've never anyone. Had, we didn't have Mike Conley when he was with the Jazz, no. right? Uh, but our next guest is currently there right now. He is the Vice President for External Affairs and Corporate Communications, Danny Lopez, from the Pacers, joins us. Obviously, the All-Star Game out there this weekend. The All-Star Game will be here next year. Danny, the plan for this week is to do what for, I think, a pretty big party of people out there? What's up, guys? How are you? Yeah, I love that walk-up music, by the way. i got to start playing that when I, when I go into meetings. That's, that's going to be my... <laughs> My goal. Uh, hey, so yeah, we're out here in Salt Lake City. We got a group of uh, about fifty people that we brought out here from the host committee, uh, and people have been that have been working on this for uh, now the better part of two thousand days. Remember, it was like two thousand days ago that we that Larry drove the uh, the Indy car on Fifth Avenue, and so this is a long time coming. But uh, we're sitting down with the league. We're sitting down with our counterparts here in Utah just to see how they're doing things, how they're pulling this together, what we can learn. I mean, our our, our people have done this a lot uh, and have seen a lot. But every time one of these events comes together, you learn something new, and so that's what we're doing out here. It's it's awesome. And by the way, the city looks the city looks great. The events are going to be awesome, and uh, we've got obviously all the guys that are participating this weekend and all of us here. So. Salt Lake City is shrouded in, in, in blue and gold. There's no doubt about it. Well, Danny, 
Kevin, we got to give him credit because he's getting up. At, is it 5.50 or 6.50 out there right now? Uh, I've lost track of what time. It, I was it, say. It's 6.50. And that's it's in, a, in a place where I think you have to have a pass to get caffeine. So, I mean, that's huge <laughs> kudos to you, Danny. Um, I'd like to know this. You guys planned, obviously, for the All-Star Game. And then we know what happened with the pandemic. And so the All-Star Game then was moved and delayed for Indianapolis. So when you had a plan in place in terms of how you guys were going to put the city on display, and then you got yourself kind of, you know, an extension, did that change or create new things that you can still put into place? Or are you simply confirming that the plan you had is the way to go? No, I think there's there's a lot of, of of things that that have changed, obviously, right? Um, and I mean, something as simple as the the footprint of the building, the, the Gamebridge from the field, that's a future project being done. I mean, when we think about that, was going to be mid construction when All Star was happening in 2021, and here we are, and it's completed. And not only is the interior of the, of the building completed, but we're going to have the plaza that we'll be able to to activate during the event. Um, which is a huge, huge deal in the entertainment complex on the plaza. So there's a, there's spaces like that that are new that have come on. I mean, I think we've all learned stu- stuff through the pandemic that we can uh, probably apply. I think some of the things are um, are going to stay the same because they're things that we we know how to do. Again, I think the difference between what, what I've learned is the difference between us and a lot of cities is we do this so frequently, these big events and not just sporting events, but conventions and, and other things that we've got a pretty good handle on what works and what doesn't work for our market. And so, uh, and so this was sort of a, an opportunity to take a look at what we had in place uh, and, then, and then adapt it to the reality. The other thing I'll say, too, is we had already done 21 legacy projects, so we had allocated about a million dollars out to communities across the state. Uh, and when this opportunity opened up in 2024, we said, okay, let's add three more. And so we're going to be announcing those real soon, but we've had, we'll have three more legacy projects. So even the extension of time has given us a chance to, to make further investments in the community. Danny, it's Danny Lopez. You've heard him all of us before, Vice President for External Affairs and Corporate Communications with the Pacers, live from Salt Lake City. Um, Danny, as far as next year is concerned, obviously Gamebridge Fieldhouse will be used a whole lot. Lucas Oil Stadium, Convention Center, will those be used at all, or is everything going to be pretty centrally located to the plaza area and Gamebridge Fieldhouse? No, we'll have we'll definitely have multiple venues. They had, uh, those decisions have been made in terms of where everything's going to be, but we'll, we will have multiple venues, uh, and so we're going to activate the entire downtown. I mean, and that's one thing I will say that Salt Lake is doing really well is you have a lot of really cool spaces all throughout the downtown. Our advantage is that we've got such a walkable downtown. We've got you know eighty five hundred uh, hotel rooms within a five minute walk of, of Gamebridge and the different venues. We've got about five thousand of those that are in in skywalks that are climate controlled. So we've got a much more walkable and controllable footprint uh, throughout the downtown. So that's the advantage we have. But our goal is to make this a twenty four seven activation event so that. Even if you don't have a ticket to the game, even if you're not coming downtown for NBA Saturday night, you're going to come down and spend a day and have a full day's worth or a full weekend's worth of activity. What's the biggest thing you can learn from a cold weather city holding this through a year before we do? Well, I mean, I think obviously it's the, the walkability of our downtown. We've done cold weather events before, obviously, uh, and they've come out real well. Um, but I think it's the walkability of, of the downtown and, and just the connectivity that we have is such an advantage. The piece that I, I would say I've learned is that this is our chance, and this is really important to me um, because, it, because it's bigger than basketball, right? It's bigger than sports. 
we have an opportunity through this game. This is truly, unlike a lot of events that we do, this is truly an international event. We're going to have 1,800 members of the press. A lot of those are coming from other countries. This is going to be shown in 250 countries around the world. We, we have a, an opportunity here to talk about Indiana and what we've become as a tech hub, as a hub for foreign direct investment that, that's off the charts our network of higher education uh, institutions that are world-renowned for engineering and other things, we've got a chance to really talk about Indiana in a different way and the city of Indianapolis in a different way, and I think that's a, that's a huge opportunity that we got to make sure we take advantage of. Danny Lopez is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. He is the Vice President of External Relations and Corporate Communications for the Indiana Pacers. Danny, with that, with the All-Star Game, is there? you can give me a rough number, obviously. I'm sure you guys have researched it. What's the guesstimate in terms of the number of visitors that will totally be in Indianapolis for the All-Star Game, and what percent of those actually attend the game? Well, so obviously the the attendance of the actual game is um, yeah twenty thousand right twenty one yeah. yeah and it's not something you can just like come off the street and buy tickets for so I mean I think that the the risk here is that if you don't do this right this becomes an event that just sort of happens in your community and then nobody really knows and so what we're trying to do is and this is not just a talking point what we're really trying to do is make this the most community centric event and so yeah the visitors to Indianapolis are hugely important and you're going to have that that groundswell of people that come into the city, spend money with us, uh, participate in the game, uh, you know, are, are attending or attending all these pop-up events that are going on. But I cannot stress this enough. We want people from across the state, certainly in central Indiana, to feel like they own this event and they can come downtown and take advantage of the retail, take advantage of the parties, take advantage of the pop-up opportunities and the arts and culture, the, the fan experience that we're going to have. Uh, I mean, I, I just think there's so many elements to this where this is going to be so much of a, a bigger event for Hoosiers, um, and, and that's what we're going for because that's the way we do events. And Danny Lopez right now out in Salt Lake City, and one year from now, the NBA world will descend upon Indianapolis for the first time since 1985 for All-Star Weekend. Danny, have a blast out there. Learn a lot, and uh, we'll check uh, back in with you uh, Get a when nap. you come back. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks. That's Danny Lopez right there on the Pay Less Liquors Hotline. You kind of forgot, Jake, throughout all this of like, oh, yeah, we were supposed to have that event. Yeah. And, now next year it's going to be here, and I think it's really cool too that you know your the expectation now is Tyrese Halliburton will be in that game. Yeah, always I nice to have. Feels like a definite, right? You guys going to do the bowling pin thing at halftime during the All Star game? <laughs> well, I, do you think that's atop their list of halftime acts? Maybe knockout. Is that what that game was called? Knockout. Well, they could have knockout. Certainly, yeah. The St. Elmo shrimp eating contest. Well, Mark, is that when Jake? Fake I'll bring COVID? the belt. I'll, I'll defend my is that title. When Jake fake COVID. It's all right. I got a championship belt out of it. It was all a master plan. I decided to miss four days of work, do the show from home, and sound like I just chain-smoked a carton of Marlboros just so that I had to avoid the St. Elmo thing. And I bought fake tests off the internet. Well, <laughs> all those things are true. Conspiracy theory to the nth degree right there. That's right. Uh, John Marks. Phil- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Radio going to join us next. We're going to talk a little Shane Steichen. Now, I'd like to know, Kevin, and I'll let you, when we bring in our next guest here on the Payless Sugars Hotline, we go back out to the city of brotherly love. Where John Marks works for now, is it WIP Philadelphia or WIP? I'm guessing that it's WIP, right? 
Yeah. But there's a call letter missing there. sounds like a baseball stat that I'm unfamiliar with. (laughs) It kind of does, doesn't it? You know, he's he's ninth in the NL in whip last year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people get into that stuff. Uh, John Mark's been a busy man this week, so we appreciate the time on this Friday morning. John, good morning. What's up, dudes? How are you? We are swell. Uh, Shane Steichen coming to Indianapolis. Um, From what you know about Shane, how big of a loss is that for the Eagles? Um, it's a big loss. The The fortunes of the Eagles changed last season when Nick Sirianni, their head coach, gave up play-calling duties, and Shane Steichen took over. And he, and I think he said this when he, when he was introduced to the media, when they asked what his offense was going to be like, he's looking at his personnel and his quarterback, and that's what his offense is going to be. He's going to fit the offense to what the quarterback was. And Shane, uh, Nick Sirianni was throwing the ball a ton, like a ton, and I think Shane Steichen said, hey, we have Jalen Hurts, um, you know, his a weapon is his legs, so why are we throwing the ball 50 times a game? So they really changed their offense. They changed what they were doing, and they really based their offense on Jalen Hurts and throwing the ball, not throwing, not just throwing the ball, but running the ball significantly. And it changed the season last year. You saw what they look like this year with their offense. So, yeah, it, it, it's a big loss. I think, I think Shane Steichen brings a common-sense approach to what he does, and I don't know how that translates to being a head coach, but as far as an offense coordinator and what he did here, he was great. John, sometimes with coordinators, you know, in Indianapolis here during the glory years of Peyton Manning, if you will, you had Tom Moore, for example, who was kind of understated. I mean, and it was a different era. I don't know that we focused on coordinators as much 15 years ago as we do now in, in the multimedia culture. But is Shane Steichen, when he, and I realize he wasn't there a long time in Philly, obviously, but. Is this the kind of guy that feels like the Bill Belichick, like the guy that spends all his time in the football lab and that's it? Or is this a dynamic personality that people will get to know? Um, a dynamic personality, I, I won't say that. I think Nick Sirianni certainly has a um, certainly has a, a, a bigger personality, right? Um, that doesn't mean that, that Shane Steichen still can't be a guy that the team looks at and says, that's our guy, like that's the guy we're playing for. And that's something that I think Nick Sirianni's biggest strength in Philly is the guys really play for him and the guys really relate to him. But Steichen definitely, I, I think everybody on the Eagles coaching staff, it's a younger coaching staff, there's really not a lot of older guys. You have uh, guys in their 30s and 40s, and I think it's very relatable to the to the, the the current day NFL player. And I think Steichen was a big part of that, right? Like, not about the ego, not about me, not about my offense. It's about you guys, and how can I get you guys? How can I put you guys in the best position? So I, I, I'm, I'm I'm excited to see what Steichen looks like as a head coach. Um, but as far as um, as far as bringing in a guy that seems to check all the boxes for what you're looking for in a modern-day NFL coach. I think Steichen does that. You know, one of the things that really interested me after the Super Bowl, John, is the fact John Marks is our guest on the Payless Liggers hotline. He's in Philadelphia at 94 WIP. The the Eagles and the whole stereotype, and I know stereotypes are dangerous, but Philadelphia has always been known as like the hard-nosed, you know, absolutely like kind of cutthroat fan base type thing. The Eagles lose the Super Bowl, and what really impressed me was that virtually every person within that organization that I saw publicly owned it. They didn't shy away from it. They just said, "Hey, you know what? We fell up. We fell short. You know, we 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 squandered a lead, et cetera, et cetera." There was accountability all the way across the board, and it seemed to me like the fans of Philadelphia embraced that and appreciated that, as opposed to being throwing snowballs at Santa. I know culture is a buzzword we overuse, 
But has that coaching staff kind of changed a culture within the organization and the way the fan base sees it? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that they certainly have. And when you look at, like, for example, Arizona, the Cardinals, they just hired the Eagles' other coordinator, Jonathan Gannon. And his biggest thing going in there, yeah, you've got to figure out Kyler Murray, and it's much bigger than culture. But it's also establishing the culture, right? It's also establishing that everybody needs to be pulling in the same direction, that there's one common goal. And if everybody in here isn't doing that, you're, you're never going to win like that. So, um, Everybody's pulling in the, in the same direction in Philadelphia. And part of that is, you're right, it's accountability. We, we watched the Eagles beat the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game. And literally for two weeks, I heard players, fans, broadcasters whine and complain about, oh, well, if we would have had our quarterback and we didn't have a quarterback and Jalen Hurts really isn't that good. Robbie Gould, the kicker, was saying, make Jalen Hurts play defense or make him play quarterback and the defense is going to have a great game, right? How about the Eagles defense knocked out both of your quarterbacks and you didn't have a healthy quarterback to play, right? Like accountability, you lost the game. The Eagles, accountability. There was a bad call at the end of the game. The turf sucked for both teams, right? No excuses. They owned it. They lost the game. And I think that really helps you focus into next year to where you're not satisfied. You're, you're mad that you lost that game. And Steichen was a big part of that. And the Eagles going forward, I think, really have, have it. And you hope that it's able to translate to Steichen and he's able to bring his program to Indy. And he's John Marks from Philly Radio. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. John, during the press conference on Tuesday, the question I asked Shane Steichen is what was the biggest thing you learned from your two years with Nick Sirianni? Obviously, we saw Nick here in Indy for several seasons, and he immediately said the way that Nick held everybody accountable from a player and coaching staff standpoint. Does that answer surprise you at all? And, and if any, what ways did you see Nick Sirianni bring that to Philly? Well, so just the, the previous coach, Doug Peterson, was a player's coach. And um, I think when you hear player's coach, you think that he lets guys get away with stuff. And after they won the Super Bowl, I think that he did let guys get away with stuff. I don't know how hard they were being coached. So Nick Sirianni comes in here, a guy in his late 30s who really he hadn't even been – on on any hot list or uh, he, he was surprised that the Eagles interviewed him but he came in here and man he coached them hard I, I go to training camp I see what goes out on uh, goes on, on out on the field and I'm not telling you that that he's yelling and screaming at the veteran players but when something needs to be said or done Nick Sirianni doesn't I mean, he doesn't hold back and he coaches them hard and he holds everybody accountable he holds the, the coaching staff accountable but he does it in a respectful way but you know Sirianni's a hothead he's crazy I mean he, he can really get going at times. Um, but as long as, as long as everybody understands that he's going to hold everybody to the same standard, then the standard has been set. And the fact that Sirianni uh, or, or that Shane Steichen is quoting that, and he's saying that's a big part of the success that the Eagles are having, now he just has to kind of do the same thing. And going to a new team from day one, establishing that same, that same culture. It goes back to culture. Establishing that same culture and establishing that same standard and holding everybody accountable it works it works now you got to get good players and everything else but it's a good start and it's something that that definitely has worked here for uh, Nick Sirianni and the Eagles you brought up Sirianni passing the play calling over to Steichen halfway through year one the difference I guess would be Sirianni never called plays in the NFL 
until he came to Philly. Steichen has done it each of the last four seasons. And again, I'm not going to act like you know everything about Shane Steichen here, but do you feel like he is a little bit better equipped walking into this first-time head coaching gig to manage all of that and call plays than maybe Sirianni was? Just because he can, just because he has play calling experience from that standpoint, yes. Um, but as far as does he know when to call timeouts? Does he right. is he good at the end of halves? All that stuff as far as game management, that that that's he's going to have to show that he's going to have to prove that there may be some growing pains in year one. You know, this is something that he hasn't done at an NFL level. I think one of the other things with with Steichen, and it's something that we talked about with Nick Sirianni. If you remember, he had a, he had an, an opening press conference with the media after being hired, and it was bad. I mean, he was bad up there. He was mocked. There were I mean the. We still play the sound today, just kind of making fun of him. But that is not who he is, and that's not who he is right now. He had total command of the media when he spoke to him yesterday. But like when Shane Steichen addresses the team on the night before the game, right? That's something that Nick Sirianni excels at. He has a plan. He has a theme every week. He's a he, Nick Sirianni's the son of a coach, a longtime football coach. And what's Shane Steichen like when he stands in front of the team? Do the guys really feel and really really play for him? And pull for him and does he connect with the players they're the things that I don't know the answer to but being that he came from Philly and from something like that that worked it can only help John this is either going to be a beautiful unearthed gem by me or you're going to be like what are you talking about yeah, never coming on um, radio ever again <laughs> uh, do you have the do you have the Indianapolis Colts backup quarterback tattooed on your body I do on my back that's correct Okay, now, now, and we're not talking about Sam Ellinger, just so people are wondering. Uh, so explain to me how, and, and I'm looking at a photo of a tattoo, and I'm not trying to dish your tattoo artist. It looks like Kurt Cobain on your back, but apparently it's Nick Foles. What's going on there? So I've heard, um, I've heard James Spader or Lenny Dykstra. Yeah, or, Dykstra, uh, I could see. Yep, Lenny good old Dykstra. nails. Yep, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a combination of those guys. All right, so check it out. In 2017, after Carson Wentz uh, went down with the torn ACL, the the city was completely freaking out because the one opportunity to finally win a Super Bowl, they were the best team in the NFL. We were right there. We were going to win the Super Bowl, and then we lost our star quarterback. And it's like, oh my god! And I put the city on my back, literally. And I said, you know what? The Eagles will still win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. And when they do, I'll get Nick Foles and the Lombardi Trophy tattooed on my back. I said it on the air. I don't know why I said it on the air. And um, they won the Super Bowl. So you know what I did? Despite my wife threatening me with, uh, with divorce, I got Nick Foles tattooed on my back. Or a guy that looked like Nick Foles tattooed. And it's not a small tattoo, guys. You can see the picture of it. Just Google it. Um, it's impressive, really. That I, is quite I mean, that's commitment, right? Good for you, and honestly, kudos to your wife. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm an idiot. Like, wh- why would I? Why would I have done that? And then I made a, a similar bet with Bryce Harper in spring training last year. And I told Bryce when we interviewed him, I said, if you win, if you win the World Series, I'm going to get a, a, you tattooed on uh, on my back next to Nick Foles. And the Phillies actually made the World Series. And there was a lot of uh, a lot of issues with my wife during that period, but now, I guess, I guess luckily they didn't win. Uh, John, it looks like you have some beautiful daughters. Uh, what do they think of this? <laughs> well, they're used to it now, but they used to ask me. I would, they'd be like, "Daddy, what's on your back?" And then you know we have to explain to them. Oh, it's a guy that looks like Nick Foles, and who's Nick Foles? And but they know now. Hey, they know John, now. Uh, yeah, it's 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 blippy on my John. Look at it this way, here. man. 
you were that close. Can you imagine? You almost had Carson Wentz. I, no, I well, you know what? I, w- I wouldn't have had to get a tattoo because we would have all decided that they were going to win the Super Bowl. Right. The other thing is that, like, I, I'm not, you know, with my shirt off, I'm not an attractive man. I have hair all over my back. I'm, I am, like, extra white, extra pasty. So even the pictures that are on the Internet of me getting the tattoo you, are uh Do you think most franchises would rather have Nick Foles permanently on their back or Carson Wentz permanently <laughs> on their roster? <laughs> Oh, Nick Foles, easily the former. Yeah, I think that's unison there. I think that's right. That's the only thing the NFL the tattoo you can eventually get rid of if you need to, John. <laughs> John, we will uh, we'll close things out with this. And again, thank you for the time. Going back to Sunday, uh, bigger play: the third and one false start right before the Jalen Hurts fumble, or yeah. the punt that led to Kadarius Tony's huge return. Oh man, and you know the the it, and it's something that I keep bringing up because everybody wants to focus on the fumble. If they don't have the false start, they likely are at the forty-seven yard line. They're Casey's forty-seven yard line. They likely get a first down because no one can stop that that cheating play that the NFL is probably going to outlaw the the sneak that Jalen Hurts does. The, they call it the the tush push, I guess, where they just push him for a first down. Um, but the, I mean, the punt in that situation, the Eagles went three and out, and they punted a terrible punt, and then it takes them down to the five yard line, and they get that touchdown. I'm going to go punt. Just and it was a different was punter, right? So Aaron Sipos, who who sucks, he was with them last year, but then he got hurt. <laughs> There's so they brought, they brought there we go. Other guy who was worse, but then they brought Sipos back just for the Super Bowl. He was finally healthy enough to do that punt right there. I, I'll vote punt on your question though. Gosh, Most beloved play. Sixer of all time: Moses Malone, Julius Irving, Allen Iverson, Charles Barkley. Allen Iverson. Okay. Boy, he yeah. Mo- Moses. Mo- I mean, Moses was Moses was almost forty years ago. Um, I mean, doc the doc is, is pretty big, though, right? Doc is doc. He retired in 1987. So for somebody like me that grew up and, and the 83 Sixers championship team was was like my team, and I love all those players. So I would vote Doc or Moses, but I think if you polled 76ers fans, AI would be the answer. Okay, last question then, John, is this. Every city has, like when I worked in St. Louis, people outside of st louis would be stunned to know that like willie mcgee is like a beloved cardinal that people put in the same breath as like lou brock and bob gibson so every city has that right i'm gonna guess that for philly it's like andrew tony or like wilbert montgomery but but who is the like athlete in philly lore that is beloved that people be like really okay um, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. It's not, it's, it's not, I mean, Andrew Tony is love, but we also haven't seen him for 30 years. He hasn't really been around. Um, I will say, uh, I just had a, a, a good one in my head too. Um, I, I, I would say Darren Dalton. Okay. I could see that. Yeah. It's similar to a Willie McGee. He was he was a draft pick. He was really had a, a terrible start to his career, and then he rounded in the form. And then the one good Phillies team that they had between 1983 and 2007, the 1993 Phillies, Dutch was the Dutch was the beloved figure from that, and uh, his teammates loved him. The city loved him. Women loved him. I worked with him many years later, and the the same uh, the same women that loved him in 1993, 15, 20 years later, were still showing up in the same clothes trying to date him so <laughs> mitch williams not on the list by the way kevin just in case you're wondering uh, john, john terrific stuff good luck to your back and uh appreciate the time <laughs> all right guys thanks that's john marks right there from philly radio on the payless liquors hotline jake something i was talking with uh jmv about earlier this week like the next two months is going to be a pretty 
hellacious time for the Colts lying about their plans at quarterback. Like, come April 20... When's the draft, Mark? Can, Mark, can you look up Thursday of the draft? That next... Or, honestly, that night, Chris Bauer is going to walk into the press conference room and be like, yeah, sorry, I lied. Like, they, they will lie about right. everything until, over the next two months. Until the draft happens, and then they'll say that this is exactly how we thought April the draft April 27th. Okay, April 27th, you know, 11 p.m., the Colts draft, whoever, and... They're going to obviously try and, and lie over the next two months in creating smoke screens. Do you think we can read any anything into their free agent activity about if they're going to trade up in the draft? And by that, I mean this. If they're more active in free agency, would that be a sign that they know they're going to trade up in the draft, therefore they won't have as many draft picks to patch holes? Well, one thing, Kevin, that I will say for Chris Ballard and the Colts is that over the last few cycles of big stories, they've been pretty transparent, actually. Like, they haven't played... I mean, it's, Ballard's basically been like, look, I, I told you guys this. But this is different. Quarterback, I think, is the I, one I, I that you it, lie about. In terms of the one that you want, yes. Uh, right? Quarterback's just, I think, totally, totally different. So, I might be, again, reading too much into free agency, but if there is a rise in activity, obviously it could just be, hey, after six years, the plan's not working. we got to do something different. But I am curious if any part of that is, hey, we know we're probably going to trade up. It's going to cost us a lot. Do we feel the need that we need to address more needs right here in free agency than we typically do? The, the precedent would be, and I know that I'm going back a long time ago, but in terms of trading up to number one to take a quarterback, Jim Mercer has a history with it, and he made no bones about the fact he was going to do it when he did so. And I'm talking about when they took Jeff George. You know, they they naturally had the number one overall when they took Manning and when they took Luck. But when they took Jeff George, Ursay was the one guy going into the draft that said, uh, we're going to trade up. We're going to trade up to with Atlanta and get the number one. And they sent Andre Rice and Chris Hinton and, and some picks to Atlanta, and that's exactly what they did. And he was totally upfront about it. Now, does that mean that he's – I mean, that was 33 years ago. Uh, does that mean that he is that upfront in terms of his comment about Bryce Young? And he was the GM then, correct? Correct. Yeah. He was the GM, and, and and essentially, even though his father was was the owner, he was, he was kind of running everything, yeah. Are we going to gloss over the fact that he got a tattoo? That's probably why they're number eight in major – Morning or major afternoon. You got to make sacrifices. I think you guys need to step it up a little bit here. If you want to be great, you have to make sacrifices. You want to crack top ten, who, Kevin who would, or Jake? Put your body on the line. Who who do I need to get a tattoo? Who is the Nick Foles equivalent? Who do I need a tattoo of? And part of me immediately jumped in my head was Lance Stevenson. How about if they sign Gardner Minshew? You get a Gardner Minshew. Well, Gardner's got a great mustache. He does have a good mustache, and, and he looks like Uncle Rico. How about if the Colts make the playoffs next year and they sign Gardner Minshew in free agency? You get a Gardner Minshew tattoo on your back calf or something. Oh, without question. Shannon would love it. Yeah. You always <laughs> brag about your legs any legs anyway. You show do, that bad boy off. Do you know yesterday I stopped at the uh I had on I, I went running and I had on basketball shorts and I stopped at the gas station to get my Diet Mountain Dew, of course, for the morning. And the gal said, "Are you only wearing shorts because you have great legs?" And I said, "Well, I do have sexy legs." Do we I mean, believe this? Do you want to know, know the main? Do. do we have the security cameras and audio for that? Do you interaction? want to know the main reason we know that my legs are sexy? You always talk about them because they're mine. Oh boy, Patrick, you are <laughs> correct. We were on uh, such a roll today, too. <laughs> Patrick <laughs> says, "Feel like we're going to need to cut some guys to free up 
space if we're going to be active in free agency. Yeah, and you know I brought up Kenny Moore, Ryan Kelly earlier. Obviously, Matt Ryan is going to save you a good chunk of money as well. Nick Foles a little bit. So I do think they will do some of that here over the next month. Again, the two offensive coordinator requests put in so far from Shane Steichen. Reportedly, you've got T. Martin, former national champion at Tennessee, primarily college background as a coach so far with the Ravens as their receivers coach. And then Jim Bob Cooter. Coach Cooter was with the Colts from 2009 to 2011. Did call the plays in Detroit. Matthew Stafford had some really nice success with him. Jim Caldwell was the head coach up there. Um, He is most recently with Jacksonville and obviously Trevor Lawrence. The ascension there I think is pretty attractive. So we'll see how all of that. Alex just made a great point. Kevin, you hit your 30-win bet total for the Pacers. Get a Benedict Mathurin tattoo. There we go. There we go. I like the sound of that. Cracking in the top 10. Should I call Maddie? I don't I mean, do you need to ask her? Well, tell her, like, hey, babe, this is how it it goes. Do either one of you guys have a tattoo? No. No. I, I will never get a tattoo, and I'll tell you why. I can never rule out the possibility that in some sort of desperation in my adult life, in my later life, that I'm going to be a fugitive of the law. And that is the biggest giveaway. These these guys all get caught because of the tattoo. Now, typically, or, or it's, gals. Like, it's like on their forehead. But you know what I mean? Like, why? why? Yeah, the old Tyson tattoo is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, you know, you see the, the mug shots every once in a while of some guy that's got like some huge tattoo across his forehead. And it's like, well, how'd they find him? You know, it's pretty obvious, right? But I'm just telling you. I don't need that sort of ID mark. Just well, you plan to create, cause a lot of felonies I, I soon? What are you doing? What's that? You plan to get in a lot you of can, felonies lately? I, you just never know. I, I also can't think of anything that's not already like a part of my life that, that like is so symbolic to me that I, I am sure of the fact that if I live to be 100, it will still, I mean, other than people. Well, Mark's going to get go. a barbed wire tattoo around your bicep. I think those are in still. I think Mark's going with Bucky Nug- Nuggets. Oh, for <laughs> sure. If, if I got sponsored by Bucky Nuggets on the and they said cap. the one caveat is you have to get a tattoo of Bucky mascot, I'm like, you put it wherever you want. And just, I want to make sure we get this in, uh, just further background on Coach Cooter. Uh, parents, Harry, and then I believe someone said the mom is Sharon Cooter. I don't know if you want to be sharing that. Jake, you okay over there? Make sure we get a little we, bit we more so background close. on the Colts candidates here. We're, we were, we were, we're 15. And you got to like that he worked with Trevor Lawrence. We're starting like talking that. about tattoos that get us into the top 10, and we just vaulted ourself right into the others receiving votes. So we we'll were so see. close. It's a beautiful day outside. What it, You know what it looks like outside today, Mark? Offspring of Harry today and looks Sharon like a, Cooter. Today looks like it's a beautiful day to be our last show, doesn't it? It does look great. <laughs> this is one of those uh, deceiving I feel like we days. should go through the Cooter family tree maybe next week. Okay. What? Let's see if we have time for that. Well, uh, this is one of the deceiving indie days, though. Like from this side of the glass, it looks like it's fifty-two outside. We know it's not. It is nice. Just a little chilly on this Friday morning. Again, Tiger Woods. We're an hour away from Tiger on the first tee. Twenty-eight uh, degrees outside right now, folks. Riviera Country Club going to be a grind today for old Tiger. All right, pop quiz coming up. It is Freebie Friday. Apologies for no pop quiz yesterday. We had a pretty loaded show. You just need to apologize to Scotty for that one. I I did. I did several times. 317-239-1070. Jiffy Lube oil change. No matter what happens on the pop quiz is coming your way in about five minutes. For now, though, I'm more than Chuck 
The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Last night in College Park, Maryland, number three Purdue tumbles once again. They are now 23-4 overall, 13-4 in Big Ten play after Maryland beat them 68-54. It was a 29-4 Terrapins run in the second half. That opened things up for Maryland. Jameer Young finished with 20. Zach Eady and Braden Smith, 18 each for Purdue as the Boilermakers. Kevin, again, I think at this point what you're worried about, even though they still a game and a half up now on Northwestern in the Big Ten, is that one to two seed line in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, obviously you don't want to fall there. I, you know, I think from an on-floor standpoint, the two of 13 from behind the arc last night. You know, when you are unable to. You know, show an opponent that you can stretch the floor like that. They're going to even collapse on Zach Eady even more. Um, Purdue had an eight-point lead, you know, early in that second half, and then boom, it was a snowball, a uh, very, very quickly rolling downhill for Maryland. Twenty-nine-four run. Maryland has held Purdue to fifty-eight and fifty-four points in their two matchups this season. Next up for the Boilers will be Ohio State coming up this Sunday. Thank you, Mark. I thought we were going to painter sound. Uh, Connor Daly, by the way, starts 34th in the Daytona 500, the great American race. That is outside of row number 17. Alex Bowman, Kyle Larson in row number one. Joey Logano, Eric Almarola in row number two. Uh, give me a number one through 40 for you, Mark. 38. 38. Starting in the 38th position, which gets you a lifetime, is uh, Riley Herbst, which gets you a lifetime supply of Sunny D. Hey! Oh, I used to Hell love yeah. that back in the day. Not bad. Okay, uh, Kevin, number? Uh, 26. 26. Starting in the 26th position, Tyler Reddick, you get, ooh, lifetime supply of Monster Energy. Oh, oh wow. You give would love a, that, wouldn't you? Scotty, give me a number. 32. Number 32. Scotty gets himself a lifetime supply of, that's BJ McLeod, by the way, um, Power Slap Rumble. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if you want to be a part of that one. Rumble, boy. What's going on there? Uh, give like me a number a, for me, Mark. Like a song Rumble. at the roller derby. Is that that dopey Dana White thing? I think that's what it is. Can you give me a number for myself? Uh, six. Number six. Thank you. Uh, starting in the sixth position, Austin Sendrick. Outside of row number three, I get a lifetime supply of discount tire. You know what? I don't actually need a lifetime supply of discount tire because I recently had AAA come out as part of my pit crew and install new tires on my car right there at my house. Triple A, uh, new, new thing they got coming in March. MyPitCrew.com. Uh, last night in Bloomington, the IU women continue a tremendous season here. Terry Moran's bunch, they rolled Michigan number 13th ranked Michigan. They continue to beat ranked teams by a whole lot. If you're looking for the men, they're back in action Saturday at noon, Illinois. I mean, Jake, you think about the best moments of the season for Mike Woodson's bunch. That win in Champaign. I mean, that was a yeah. route by Indiana. Trace Jackson Davis was outstanding in that game. Brad Underwood just refused to double trace. Uh, curious to see if that changes here. Uh, but you would think with at Michigan State next week, at Purdue next week for Indiana, just important to hold serve at home. Do we have a change in the hierarchy of frontrunner for college player of the year? No, Trace I, Jackson I, Davis moved in front of Zach Eady. No, I think it's still Zach Eady. I think the question that is a little bit more relevant, though, Jake, is what about Big Ten Player of the Year? Is Big Ten Player of the Year to you what you do in the Big Ten games only? Boy, that's fair because Trace Jackson Davis has been unbelievable. That's a little bit more of a debate. Yeah, I mean, fair. Zach Eady still had eighteen and eight last night. Yeah. It's not like he was, you know, held to six and four. But Big Ten Player of the Year, I, I, I think you could have a debate. Wooden on. Award Eady is still the very 
I mean, minus 3,500. He's far and away the favorite. Trace Jackson Davis plus 1,800. So. Is he second, Trace? Mm-hmm. Yep. Jalen Wilson, third at plus 2,600. Okay. Now, again, a week from Saturday, it'd be take something pretty drastic, but maybe something could change there. And then tonight on our airwaves, we'll have the Rising Stars game, 9 o'clock. Last year, Tyrese Halliburton was in the game, and now he's in the All-Star game. This year, it'll be Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard, both, I think both on the same team. Uh, Pau Gasol is their coach. Really? Pau Gasol, I feel like, is a beloved figure. I know Kobe was extremely close to them. Kobe's, I remember during the uh, daughter's still really close with them. World Basketball Championships when they were here in 2002, which was kind of a huge bust. But uh, Pau Gasol, I remember during like the opening games for it, everybody was down in the Pan Am Circle, Pan Am Plaza. All the teams are there, and like the Spanish team is there, and Pau Gasol was off to the side having a furious argument with what appeared to be a significant other on his cell phone. Oh. They're like, where's Pow? He's, uh, he's over there having a furious argument in Spanish, which sounds like what it was like. I don't know. I, I would like, assume like a soap opera. Uh, Mark, based off the spelling, that Marcus Hall would be one of your favorite people. Oh yeah, of course. M A R C. Yeah, he was a good player. Good player. He, yeah. Took him a, a little bit more to uh, a little bit more years to kind of grow into it, but he was a nice player. Pow was a good player too. He's the chairman of our Mark with a C committee i do remember you saying that c stands for chairman yeah right meetings every month uh butler's got the free space game sunday afternoon by who the else way. is in that committee there's a few of us said so that mark anthony isn't there like a musician isn't oh, he yeah. also yeah. yeah yeah he's there okay butler's got george he's our international <laughs> diplomat well that should be well, mark Powell, yeah, i was gonna say mark marcus all had but he, he was but he took over president so you can't do both don't burn the wick at both ends fair enough pop quiz is next through that, at seven wick without a k by yeah. the way. two three nine ten seventy whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you have you studied can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Kevin, you just asked me a pretty interesting question. Is that part of the Pop Quiz? No, no, it's not. Just kind of popped into my head when Scotty and I were chatting about the All-Star game. And you asked me, the question was... Next to Reggie, who is the Indiana Pacer with the most all-star appearances? And my um, kind of knee-jerk reaction was Jermaine O'Neal. As a Pacer. As a Pacer, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that... I, I believe that is correct. I think J.O. 5 and Paul George 4. Now, would J.O. have been a center on the ballot as well, Scotty? I think like, he was probably like a forward, wasn't he? I think he was a center. Was he? You know, that is no longer we don't vote you know one center two forwards two guards now it's what is it is it two forwards and three guards i think it's how it's voted now so the center like joel Embiid was not a starter wasn't voted a eastern conference starter this which year. is insane because right. he's it's kind of crazy but yeah the all-star game has evolved a little bit but yeah i think jo5 to uh to your point jake and then four for paul george and then this is number three for demonis Sabonis, three all-stars for him. Two here and first one in Sacramento. Also well-deserved. He's having a great year in Sacramento. Great year. I'm looking forward to watching Sacramento in the playoffs. Yeah. 
I think that place will be rocking. Arco Arena, baby. Is that what it's still called? No. No chance. Does Arco still exist? No. Scotty says no. Do you know, a, a fascinating dialogue, by the way, sometime is the number of businesses that went out of business within three months of getting naming, or three years of naming rights of a sports venue. Will the Maloof brothers be front row at the Kings games? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're back in Vegas, right? They were a wild duo there. They were. For a while. All right, this pop quiz. Uh, Jake took this pop quiz yesterday. Um, went four for five. Uh, Scotty has changed the fifth question because we actually mentioned that one on air. Uh, Jake, let's see how one of our listeners will do with it today. Okay. Uh, Mark, you have callers lined up, right? Kevin, give us a number. The go- the Kings Arena, by the way, is the Golden One Credit Union Center. Uh-huh, yeah. Hostile okay. environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go with, uh, what is this, All-Star Game? I guess let's go Fast Fingers. One for Tyrese Halliburton. Bruce. What's up, Bruce? Hello. How you doing? Hey, Bruce. How, how are you doing? Uh, Bruce, we're okay. Great. You, you sound excited this morning. Are you are you excited to be on the radio? I am. I am. It's been about called in about 20 times and finally got selected. Now, so. Is this the first time you've been on the program? Persistence, Bruce. Uh, first time in about a year. Okay. Well, Bruce, can we play Get to Know Your Listener? We've had a lot of success with this, and kids in particular sure. certainly seem to enjoy it. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, Bruce, who was the president of the United States in the year of your birth? Uh, that would be uh, Eisenhower. Okay. And uh, so that would put you, I'm going to guess, like uh, early to mid-70s in terms of your high school graduation year. Is that right? Graduate 72. Okay, 72. And um, in 1972, if your parents would have told you for your good grades that you were allowed to go to the concert of any musician, uh, who would you have picked and why Led Zeppelin? <laughs> no, probably the uh, probably the Eagles. Okay, the Eagles. And... Um, when you were a kid, Bruce, the first sports poster that you recall having on your wall and or the first sports team that you recall falling in love with? Uh, the Boston Red Sox. Wow. Okay. Wow. Did you grow up in the area? I grew up in, I grew up in Rhode Island, uh, first through eighth grade. So I loved, uh, you either loved uh, the Red Sox and hated the Yankees, or you loved the Yankees and hated the Red Sox. Uh, Rhode Island, very underrated, by the way, I think. Are you Providence a Patriots fan, Bruce? Back then, they they had the Minuteman on their helmet and uh, played in Boston uh, downtown, and I liked him then. Uh, not once I moved to Indianapolis in the eighties. I, uh, you know, hated hated New England because I loved the Colts when they got here in eighty four. Okay, very well. It. I love it, Bruce. All right, thanks um, for calling, Bruce. Bruce, Appreciate would you, you like for Mark or for myself, Jake, to lead you off with question number one? Kevin sent My this one out. Kevin, or, I'm sorry, Kevin. Yeah, Kevin Bowen, B O W E N. Kevin's a little more understated. Let's go with Kevin. I appreciate it, Bruce. Thank you. Um, All right, number one, NBA All-Star Weekend is here. Larry Bird won the first three-point contest in 86, 87, and 88. Only one other player has won the three-point contest three times. Is it A, Steph Curry, B, Peja Stojakovic, C, Craig Hodges, or D, Mark Price? Craig Hodges. Can, can you explain by if if Kevin is understated, does that mean that I'm overstated? <laughs> uh, 
You talk a little louder. No, no. I uh, I, I like to hear your uh, take on things. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Bruce. What if Bruce just would have gone no comment? <laughs> and, and I do. I could do a PBR. It was old Milwaukee when I was in college in Florida, but uh, PBR party would hell be yeah. Let's Bruce, go, you Bruce. are in on the PBR party. We'll I got you. We'll have invited. you tap the keg, Bruce. You, you attended what school in Florida, Bruce? Florida Southern College in Lakeland. Okay. Baseball school. Uh, all right, here we go. Question number two. Who is the reigning three-point contest champion? Is it Carl Anthony Towns, Desmond Bain, Patty Mills, or Zach Levine? It's probably the guy who would only be on that list if he was the reigning champion. Uh, Patty Mills. Okay. Bruce, Florida Southern's got a pretty good basketball program, right? In Division Two as well? They they won it about five years ago, okay. yes. They've won it like twice, but baseball they've won about six times since I've been there, the national championship, I, I Division be, Two. Did you play, Bruce? No. Okay. No, they, they had just won the national championship when I arrived, and so uh, I, I played uh, – I played beer league softball and stuff. <laughs> PBR, man. Old Milwaukee. There you go. I feel like for some reason they had a caramel kid on that Florida Southern basketball team. I could be imagining things. All right, Bruce, number three. Buddy Heald passed Reggie Miller for the most made three-point field goals in a season for the Pacers. Nobody will catch Reggie's franchise record for career threes anytime soon as he made 2,560, which is almost 1,600 more than second place Danny Granger. Who is the Pacers' active leader in three-pointers made as a Pacer? Is it Heald, George Hill, Miles Turner, or Chris Duarte? Uh, George Hill. Question Question number four for you. The field is set for Sunday's Daytona 500. Who's on the pole? Is it Eric Almarola, Kyle Larson, William Byron, or Alex Bowman? Kyle Larson. I just feel like William Byron sounded like an SEC frat kid's name. All right, number five here, Bruce. On this day in ni- Byron. on this day in 1974, Richard Petty became the first driver to win the Daytona 500 in back-to-back years. Since then, three other drivers have won the Super Bowl of stock car racing in consecutive years. Which of the following drivers did not win back-to-back Daytona 500s? A. Denny Hamlin B. Sterling Marlin C. Dale Jarrett D. Cale Yarborough Now Bruce, this guy also essentially began the tradition of kissing the bricks at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway after he won the Brickyard 400 Alright, give me those names again please real quick Yeah, Denny Hamlin, Sterling Marlin Dale Jarrett, Cale Yarborough And Jake, this guy is he in the booth Sunday? That's a good if depending on which network, but he could. Daryl Jarrett. Say it again, Bruce. Bruce, one more time. Dale Jarrett. Dale Jarrett. Yeah. Dale Jarrett. Okay. All right, and I didn't know if he had a swig of the PBR. I just wanted to make sure. (laughs) Old Milwaukee, Kevin said that. Yeah. What about Uh, Schlitz, Bruce? Did you ever enjoy a Schlitz? I I liked Schlitz, but that was from Milwaukee. But uh, with the Budweiser plant down in Tampa, we did more Bush. And old Milwaukee were like eighty-eight cents a six-pack. Look <laughs> at that! <laughs> what about memory? What about Blatz? Anybody drink Blatz? No, no. Rolling Rock is from the D.C. area where I grew up. This bottle of Rolling Rock. Yeah, ice Rolling ice. Rock's from Latrobe, Pennsylvania, right? Right. The Arnold little Palmer green home. seven ounces. Yeah. The, no, that's Little Kings. Little Kings are the little green ones. 
Rolling Rock are the larger green ones. Okay. Yep. Yep. You're you're right. Bruce, you know your beer. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, stay on the line here. It is Freebie Friday. Great effort. Larry Bird won the first three three-point contests in the NBA. Jake, the other player to do that? I want Bruce, by the way, to lead the PBR toast. Oh, he's going to tap the keg. <laughs> he is going to tap the keg and then take the little plastic thing and put it around his necklace. Uh, Craig Hodges was correct for question number one. <laughs> is, that, is that the cameo to Maddie? Yeah. From... Uh, Coach, what's in that? Um, George. What's that? I was just going to read off the ones okay. he got right. George Hill is correct, that and the Pacers correct. active leader in three-pointers made. Dale Jarrett did not win back-to-back, yeah. 93-96 in 2000. But Jake, number two and four slip up Now, there. Bruce, stay on the line because it's a freebie Friday, but it's Carl Anthony Towns who is the reigning three-point champion. And on the poll, Kyle Larson starts alongside the poll center, which is Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman. Thanks, Bruce. You don't get to come back tomorrow. You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. (laughs) Well, where are you going to (laughs) go? Now, what's the last one they're from? Oh, that was the Red Zoner telling the fans where they're going to go. I forgot about that. Getting into baseball season. Got to start getting up the Reds I forgot all about that. Uh, Jason Tatum. Don't look now, but here come the Red Legs. Right, Kev? Yeah, that that win total. Jason Tatum, Kevin Herter, Tyler Hero, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Damian Lillard, Julius Randle, Laurie Markkinen. My money is on Damian Lillard. Your three-point pick is the best player, Damian Lillard? Uh, He's he's the guy that can catch lightning in a bottle, but, but... Actually, the Cinderella winner of the three-point contest? Give me the names again. Jason Tatum, Kevin Herter, Tyler Kevin Herter. Hero. Kevin Herter is going to win it. Halliburton, Buddy, Julius Randle. Kevin Julius Herter. Randle that good of a shooter? Laurie Markkinen for the fan favorite? Utah guy? Good player. Kevin Herter is going to win it. I thought it was interesting. Carlisle said this week that Buddy and Halliburton both have like shooting strokes that would lend themselves to be good. In the three-point contest. Wait, what, what, what do you think he means by that? Halliburton's, I, I think the thing is you've got to be able to go, I think there are two things to win a three-point contest. One is you're not over-reliant, overly reliant on your legs in terms of your shooting rhythm because you, you would wear out so fast. And the other is I think you've got to have somewhat of a quick release. Halliburton's release I think is too slow. Well, the thing about Halliburton, though, is like as soon as he takes it off the rack, I feel like that's like his ideal shooting pocket. <laughs> like he just that's kind of true. flings it from no, the that, right side, a little, a little shot putty. Uh, Buddy certainly has a quick release. Buddy's the favorite at plus 400. So that will be Saturday night from Salt Lake City. We'll get you set for the weekend that is coming up, and we'll round out things here. Kevin and Query, 93.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jake, one of uh, kind of my favorite under-the-radar sporting events this weekend here in Indy, and that is the Wrestling State Finals over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. It's a really cool environment. You just kind of the makeup of a NBA arena like that, you know, sections are kind of like each team's little pocket. There's the crown point section. There's the Perry Meridian section. There's the, you know, cathedral section, you know, things like that. And you get them under the lights 
for the matches, you know, for the finals on Saturday night. Really, really cool scene inside of there and I not enough know. cage matches for my liking <laughs> probably just a bit of an appreciation for the sacrifices you got to make to be a wrestler yeah, especially in high I school mean, it's like oh yeah go get your fried food and then you know cut the three pounds to make sure you're making waiting time for the match it's a uh it, it's a cool event if no one's seen i think they i hope they still air it on uh on bally i think greg straw i mean it's really the it. ultimate form of like just individualized sportsmanship right one-on-one i mean it's the the dedication all of it right you're right i mean it's it's the little guys the flurry of activity and then you get into the bigger weights just the athleticism for some of those big fellows is always fun so that will be i think it starts today i think they've bumped it up a little bit on friday i know they get a round in uh today and then uh saturday's a busy day over there i think it's gonna have to move though because of the All-Star Weekend. I think the Golden Gloves are coming up too, which is at the usually is at the Tyndall Armory. Mm-hmm, right. But man, that is just such a cool thing also. Those same same Thursday kind of nights, thing. right? Yeah, and it's just awesome. You know, the you get the big crowd in there and you know, you feel like you're in, in the spotlight in Brooklyn in 1940, you know what I mean? Yeah, you get that lone spotlight element to it, so um, some fun stuff here coming up in Indy and then a year from now we'll be hosting the All-Star game. That's Now, my All-Star Game t-shirt that says Indianapolis All-Star Game 2020, does that become not a collector's item anymore once the actual All-Star Game happens? Oh, yeah. Well, will you do the four on it like people have done with the Carson Wentz jersey to Matt Ryan? That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Cleveland Browns jerseys that you can alter? Boy, those... Turn into Browns, a dress, right? The Browns found their guy in Deshaun Watson, or are they going to be right back to square one in two years? They're certainly paying him like that. Yeah, you're not lying there. Uh, big plans for the weekend? Uh, I'm off to Florida. Did we know this, Mark? <laughs> Mark this weekend already? Mark Mark's filling in. I thought you were off. You work till Wednesday. Yeah, Monday, Tuesday, doing the show, and then uh, Mark's filling in the rest. So of the So you're week. doing the show from Florida, though, yes, right? Yes. Uh huh. Monday yeah. and Is Tuesday. Is this going to be one of those again where you're like in a little room and you're whispering until everybody wakes up? <laughs> Is that one squeaky chair going to be there again? No, I think I think with this one, I'm going with my side of the family, so a little bit of a um, smaller bunch. But uh, yeah, heading down to the Anna Maria Island area, so flying into Tampa. Anna Maria. My buddy Byron just got married. His new wife's name's Anne Marie. Is that her island? Look at that. I, I'll have to. That's where they should have honeymooned, right? I really enjoyed chatting with him at your fiftieth. That's right. I forgot you did. Yeah. Yeah. He's so Anna Marie, which side is that on? So it's on the Gulf side. So yeah, flying to Tampa, and it's like Sarasota, Bradenton area. Which you know, if I'm not familiar, wasn't that one of the areas kind of hit pretty hard yeah. by the hurricane? Yep. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see. Um, how that looks, but you know, taking any any spring training uh, activities? It's a good question. We are a little bit. It's kind of a drive to get back into the Tampa area, but you know, next week I've always felt this about the mid February. It's usually kind of one of the quieter like sports weeks around this time because the NBA is off. The yeah. NFL, it's like the one quiet week. You know, the combine. When we come back, we're going to be at the combine. You know, in in early March. Um, so for a, I don't think Purdue plays next week until the Indiana game on Saturday. So it's a little bit of a quieter week from a sports world standpoint. The combine's fun. We're going to be at the combine again, doing the broadcast from there, like on the little radio row. Uh, usually we're the first ones there in the morning and then by like eight o'clock or so, most of the other teams have people that have shown up, uh, to do their coverage 
and then uh, about eleven thirty, the Raider kids show up. Mm-hmm. Well, stumble and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the best last Martinis year. Martinis is unreal. I said, "Hey, man, can you guys come on? We'd love to talk to you because it looks like you had a fun night." And the guy's like, "Yeah, I think it's probably a good idea if we sit this one out." The you room know, I, is spinning right now. <laughs> I, I thought that they were going to keep Tiki Bob's alive, but it looks like Tiki Bob's right. no longer. Right? That's right. Uh, NBA, How will NBA All Star Game function without Tiki Bob's? Boy, that's uh, Michael Olowakandi is going to be disappointed. Uh, Rising Stars game tonight, 9 o'clock. You can hear it right here on this radio station. And then again, uh, it is tomorrow night when the three-point shootout. Again, I'm going with, um, is it, I always forget how to say his last name. Huerter? Kevin Huerter? I think Herder. Herder. There's an extra E in there, though. Yes. Plus 550. There's a U in there. You guys got any weekend plans? Not really. No, not really. Uh, Next week is when we're going to Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, that's right. So... Who they got for that one? Uh, Kansas, West Virginia. Kansas and West Virginia. I always love the windbreakers for Huggy. I'm sure he'll be there in his windbreakers. Um, but I and I haven't looked to see what it's supposed to be like this weekend. But not all of us are going to be in Anna Maria, Florida, right? No, no. I'm definitely looking forward to that. So yeah, I'll be uh, Monday, Tuesday, and then marking yourself the rest of the week and. You know, maybe we'll be recapping the Tiger Woods race to the leaderboard. Mark, at least we know the good news is there's not going to be any Jim Bob Cooter family tree references starting. I mean, I, if I would have bet, right? I would. I would think I would have been the favorite I'm to make refra- that joke. And I'm, it was Kevin. Was I'm going dark to refrain horse. from what I heard his sister's name was, but I did hear on <laughs> okay. good authority Harry okay. and Sharon Cooter. Apparently. <laughs> okay, sure. So we'll keep you updated on that for sure. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday.